What is up, good people? I hope everybody is doing wonderful and having a nice soft landing into February. The end of winter is in sight and we will soon again be out prancing happily in the sunshine. Anyway, this is a phenomenal discussion with David Heilman. David Heilman is truly, in my mind, one of the coolest people I have ever met. It's like currently in fashion to say stuff like, yeah, this isn't cool, but this is what I'm into. Like nerdy, like implying your not coolness to try to appear to be cool, right? So it's fundamentally, assuming someone's like, this is nerdy or this isn't cool or nerding out. You're like, man, you're just trying to convince me you're cool. Like this language is not cool. The evolution of the word cool. What is cool? Who is cool? How do you be cool? Who can be cool? I just spent so much time thinking about the word cool and reading about the word cool that I'm always thinking about the word cool, right? Because it's like we become obsessed with it. Like, am I cool? Can I be cool? How can I be cool? I remember my guitar teacher, Rick Milena. Maybe if you listen to that one, he said one time, he's like, as an artist... You decide whatever you think is cool, and you get really good at that, right? I think funk guitar is cool. I think silly lyrics are cool. So these are things I'm into. David Hyland makes sweet beats, and it's like his whole life is just a beautiful work of art because he's he exists on a plane of cool because he does good for other people, and he's just the most excellent hang. For example, I'm like, Dave... I would like to record you for a podcast because he's a phenomenal storyteller, as you'll soon see. The, the tour, the one tour I did with him, he would entertain all eight people with hilarious stories. Like, and then go back to his nook and just read a book and not bother anybody. He's like the ideal person. He's clean. He smells great. He looks great. He's got just a laser beam force of life around him. He's just like a... He's just like, you're like... He's, he's dialed it all in. <clears throat> so I think, I think he's an interesting person because he's the coolest person. But like, what is cool? And cool to me is like you're in fifth grade or you're young and there's this 90s perception of cool, like, like the movie Clueless or something where like the athletic, you know, good looking people are cool. And then the uncool people are like the goth, not cool kids. But then you're like, you get a little bit older and you're like, that's not what cool is. Like, cool is Miles Davis, 1957, the birth of cool, kind of blue, all the way to Pangea, 1976, like Miles is the epitome of cool. He had just the, he gave zero fucks vibe, you know, he's just like, I am going to make the coolest music you've ever heard. He exists on a an alternate universe plane of cool. But then maybe you get a little older and you're like, well, just pretending that you're cool isn't actually cool. Like, you have to be nice to people. And you have to be smart. <laughs> you have to be intelligent, you know? Which I think ultimately leads us to Dave Heilman because I think even as I started entering into my 
early 30s and you start to meet like cool European people who are well-adjusted. They have things like healthcare and education that's just kind of given to them. It's not like an American thing where this whole society is based on fear. This whole culture is like trying to scare you into buying shit, right? And they're a little more relaxed, a little more just like, yeah, we're just living. And I'm going to know every Pixies song ever. That's how Dave Heilman lives his life, in this beautiful way, with these cool Scandinavian people living like half of his year in Norway, like possibly the coolest country on earth right now. And he was on this like so long ago. He's so hip. He's so cool. Another Here's another mini Heilman story. And Dave, I tell this to maybe make you laugh if you're listening to this, Dave. I used to wear undershirts under my like sweet cowboy shirts. And Dave Heilman didn't wear undershirts. And then I said, Dave Heilman doesn't wear undershirts. I'm not wearing undershirts. So I started to live the free life of the no undershirt. Woof. That's a game changer. That's freedom. Enter into freedom. Take that undershirt off. Boom. Holla back, baby. Anyway, please enjoy this amazing storyteller, amazing dude, amazing musician. I can't speak highly enough of him in every capacity. He's the main hoss. And <clears throat> I want to play you into the discussion. I'm really, really obsessed with his band, Fancy Colors. Every song of theirs is, to use the word of the intro here, is cool. I was going to pick a certain tune. I had to spend so much time thinking about which tune to pick, but I feel like most people, I listen to podcasts in the car. So, and then this song, when I'm like ADD flipping between podcasts and songs, this song, Castle in the Snow by Fancy Colors, to me is just like a driving anthem. It's got the gallop, and you're just driving, woo! And you might get to your destination like three minutes faster than you anticipated if you just play this song on loop because you're feeling so open that you'll start like passing cars and maybe not obeying traffic laws, but in a cool way, in a cool, safe way. An aggressive driver who gets you there safe. Anyway, I hope everybody enjoys this. Thank you so much for checking it out. Have a wonderful day, and I'll see you soon. Cool.
Here we are at the beautiful Nylon Studios right. on Wooster Street in what neighborhood Soho. is this? Soho, Soho. Mm-hmm. with the the singular human entity of David Heilman. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's good to be here. Good to see my friend Paul Madison, who, by the way, I wasn't kidding when we did that after party thing Monday night. The whole reason why I did it was so I could <laughs> play with you. And I was like, man, do I really want to be getting up on stage at like 2 in the morning on a Monday night to do some 1982 hit? I was like, if Paul Madison's on guitar, yeah, I do. <laughs> so I replied yes, and then we got to do it And then it we together. got to play together. No, that was yeah. super funny. I was yeah. really excited to play with all of those people. And yeah. 
it's one of those things where you start learning the tune and yeah. you're like, why am I doing this? I have other stuff to do. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm overall happy that I had to learn the tune. Yeah. And then we got to play together. Dave, what was your outfit? If I can, um, that, that was, was actually, it was a 80s mesh sleeveless uh, top with um, a beautiful 80s like active wear jacket that was multicolored that was given to me for my 39th birthday just two weeks ago by Zach Happy Caldwell, birthday. my fancy colors partner. It was beautiful. Yeah. Was I, was, nice I was like, man, is this, this is, only this guy can pull this off. The funny thing is, I was like, I bet you everyone thinks I'm wearing this because we're doing like a 1982 theme, but this is just what I wore on like a random Tuesday, you know? <laughs> and that's the truth. Not, it had nothing to do with Halloween or anything. No, that was just, I just, that's just what I wear. And Zach got it for me for my birthday, and I put it on right away, and I haven't really stopped wearing it since. It's been two weeks. It's really beautiful. It's yeah, a great I, piece, but now it's getting a little cold. So It's a little cold, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but maybe you're used to the cold with all this time you're spending in Scandinavia. I feel like it's we should true. start right there. Like Yeah. Yeah, well... Um, do you, are you, when you're there all year, you're in yeah, New York? Yeah, this year I've been there so far for six months out of the year, and I'm going back on Monday next week for another month. Um, so, but that was, we were touring Norway as part of the uh, world tour for the, for the new record that just came out this year, Sandra Lerke's Pleasure. And um, we decided to do the first three months of winter, starting in January, touring just the country of Norway mm -hmm. for three months, which I don't think anyone has done in the history of music. <laughs> it's a small country up in the north of only five million people population, a little bit more than that now. And uh, Just the north or that's the whole country? That, the whole country. The whole country is only five million people. Five million people. It's growing a little bit. It might be about five and a half by now, but uh, it's... Yeah, it's a very small country, and we toured the entirety of it for three months in the dead of winter. So it was really interesting. And we, we I mean, the most interesting show is probably in Vadsø, which is way up on uh, the coast. And you can you can kind of see Russia from there. Mm -hmm. Not to sound like Sarah Palin, but it's the truth. Yeah. You can see Russia. And it was so cold, and there was such a blizzard happening that... When we would look outside the window, it was you would just see like all snow stacked against the window, and it just kept coming down and down. And it was like our bass player just got food poisoning at the hotel dinner. So he was j just before we went on, he's like, "I think I have to throw up," and he was like doing all sorts of things in the bathroom before we went on stage. Oh no! And the city is one of those small little cities where the only thing to do that night is to go hear whoever's playing at this one club. So the room is filled with people who either never heard of us, who loved us, who didn't know if they liked it but did, or people maybe who hated it. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different types of people in there, and you're watching them interact with each other, and it's a blizzard, and our bass player is like having diarrhea on stage. It was just like, you know, a really wild show. And uh, This is like the northernmost point. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is like where the oil well, fields are, right? Just no, north that, of there? No, the northernmost bit is that archipelago called Svalbard, okay. which is... Even off the mainland, it's a it's a series of islands, and mm -hmm. Longyear Bean was actually founded by an American who is uh, mining up there. So that's the furthest north you can go. And Neolison is a town even further than Longyear Bean, which you have to take a propeller plane to. It's on a separate island, and that is the northernmost civilization 
of the entirety of the world, and that's where only scientists live. There's about 45 scientists living there. That's the population of that town, and they study the climate because that is zero, like untouched, unpolluted climate. So mm -hmm. everything they base on, like San Francisco is like whatever percentage of smog, it's all based on Neolison's uh, perfectness of climate. So we did a show up there, and I would just walk around breathing in the air, being like, this is the most pure air anyone will ever breathe in, in their the world. life yeah. in the world. So I would just walk around freezing because you're like bundled up in jackets, ice everywhere. And you're walking around this like seemingly ghost town because no one really lives there. But there is a little post office. And there's like And you one, performed there with Sandra? We performed for there. 45 we did a concert. Scientists? Yeah. For the, pop, the population of the town. Sold out show because <laughs> it was like 45 people. And we actually contacted the Guinness Book of World Records because we were the first band to ever play a show that far north. Wow. So we are now the, the furthest most... Northern performing band. band in the history of the world. Amazing. <laughs> so, but this whole thing with Norway started seven years ago. I started playing with Sandre, and I've been going back and forth, spending near half of my year up there uh, since uh, 2011, actually. So, it's been a really long and beautiful love affair with Norway. And so, tell us about how it kind of started. Like, did you meet Sandre in Brooklyn or in. No, it's so. It's a great story, and I and I and I love it. Um, it's like the way wedding, you know, anniversary stories are told when the husband and wife is. Like, I remember when I met her; she was just the. So um, I was. Let's take it way back, two thousand and nine. I was touring with my rock band Jupiter One at the time. Jupiter One. Jupiter One. Van Pilates. Van fame. Pilates, a world famous <laughs> video, yes. Yeah, you can YouTube or go on funnierdie.com. There's a, a Van Pilates fitness video that we did with Jupiter One because I was always working out in the van trying to stay in shape in the road. So uh, <laughs> our lead singer, Kay, who now performs under Kishibashi, uh, he got the idea. He was like, dude, you should put out a workout tape for, for touring musicians in a van. So it was a big joke, and he, he really did a good job with it. He shot the footage and edited it, and and we had a guy named Tom Love do the voiceover, and it was pretty fun. So Jupiter One, we were touring, just me and, and four of my friends, and just having a blast for years, like drinking our dinners because the bar would give us drink tickets and yeah. drinking a lot of alcohol to stave our hunger pains and just keep yeah. going and eating $5 footlongs every day for a long time. So that was a fun few years. And then uh, Kishibashi, our lead singer at the time, started playing violin with Regina Spector. And the musical director of her band was Dan Cho, a great cellist. And uh, she wanted Kay to continue playing violin with her so he said well but I've got this band Jupiter One um, if we can open up for you on the tours then I can stay with you so she said sure so then Jupiter One was opening up for Regina Spector um, in 2009 uh, for her tour and then her these drummer are, these are pretty big venues or oh yeah these yeah, are like big. Large, this is Regina's running yeah. yeah I mean we were doing just an American tour but we like went on the do like the Sydney Opera House and uh, you know all like beautiful venues all around the world. So she was doing the Radio City Music Hall was our New York show and yeah, and we we're playing and we were having a blast. And uh, Zach 
from Fancy Colors, whose studio we're in right now, mm-hmm. he was in that band as well. And she, her drummer was Mackenzie Smith, who was Mid Lakes drummer. And he's a great drummer. He's in a band called Banquet now, but uh, great dude. He had to leave to go finish his Mid Lake touring. And Regina knew that. So she got someone else to fill in his shoes. But she wasn't happy with that guy's playing. And that guy, I won't mention his name, but he's a great drummer, uh, fantastic drummer who's known all around the world. But for whatever reason, just, you know, it just wasn't clicking, vibe-wise, whatever. She wasn't feeling it. So we were doing a show in Seattle at the Paramount. And after the show, she just fired him in the middle of the tour. And and then she called me up in their dressing room and said, hey, um, would you mind playing drums with me for, for the rest of the tour also? And I was like, yeah, that's no problem. But I didn't know the music at all because we were opening up and then we'd jump out into the merch booth and just try to sell as many T-shirts and CDs as possible because that's how we were surviving. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't really hanging out and, and listening to the set that much. But, of course, she assumed rightly that that I was that I knew all the songs by now but I hadn't so we were in Seattle the first show was in Salt Lake City and she was in a tour bus and we were in a little van that would just follow the tour bus and so they would get there like a day in advance and hang out we were still like trying to drive and make it (laughs) so Zach and Pat Dockery the bass player at the time they really hooked me up and they said look we'll do all the driving from here to Salt Lake City you just learn the music in the van don't worry about it and they would drive like crazy stretches of time. And I would just be in the car with headphones on, like trying to make charts. And and they really busted their ass to make sure that I could learn this stuff. Yeah. So then we got to Salt Lake City. And I told her before the rehearsal, because I knew she was very particular about our musicians. And I said, look, you know, I'm already on this tour. You know, we're having a good time. If you don't like what I'm doing, just let's not do it. And then just hire someone else you know you've got the money you've got the cred like you can get anybody you want in here Mm -hmm. so i'm not interested in like making this a painful experience for either one of us i want to enjoy this time so let's do this and and if you like it great but if you don't instead of like trying to make me fit into what you want to be let's just say no yeah you know and i'll still be here with jupiter one and we'll be friends and all that so she was like yeah totally it's cool but Everyone knows, like, you know, she's so particular. The whole crew, everybody was like, this is not going to go well. You know, like... Yeah, you're in a really difficult position. Yeah, right they're now. like, we got and this you, show. She's you gonna, even put the disclaimer out there. You're like, listen, yeah. if this doesn't work, I don't... That's yeah. wise. Espe- Veteran move. Yeah, and especially since I've been playing, like, we are doing synth pop, new wave, so I was, like, rocking out every night, and her stuff is really classically based and very sensitive. So <laughs> no one in her team, probably even including her, maybe thought maybe that I could play sensitively because they were seeing me like rock it all night so but I also come from a classical background and all that Mm -hmm. and jazz and shit so I came in and I was listening to how Mackenzie played and Mackenzie is a friend of mine and I love the way he plays drums and so it's easy for me to imitate what whatever he was doing because we have the same sensibilities so I came in and just played it the way I had heard it done and she was so easy to play with, I felt like. I mean, she she's, you know, her choruses speed up or her verses slow down to breathe or whatever. Whatever she's doing is based on, like, a musical choice mm-hmm. that she makes deliberately. 
It's not like her time is just running away or dragging. It's always for a good reason. So as long as I had her piano in my in-ears, like pumped up, her left hand's the bass, because it's just drums and a string section in her. So I'm following her, and and I would just just listen to where she would pick up or pull back, and it was always in places that I felt made sense. So it was natural for me to want to do that too. Mm-hmm. So we just like amazingly to, m- to m- myself as well. I was just as surprised as she was and everybody else in the room, but we just fucking hit it off and it was great. And we had some sushi and you know after- afterwards and celebrated and we played our first show and I just joined her band after that. We went on to tour the world and played with her for two years. But after I got that, after I knew I was in the band, because I was still touring with Jupiter One, but now I was in her band too. Yeah. Once I knew that was secured, her tour manager had been treating my band like shit the entire tour. Like, <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Like, super douchebag moves everywhere you look. I mean, this guy got off on it. Yeah. You know? So now... Now you're in Regina's band. So, Tables are turning, brother. Dude, he, like, literally, I said, hey, can I get some sushi? Like, that's why we all ate sushi. Because I went to the manager. I was like, can you just go get some sushi? He was like, oh, yeah, no problem. Now, now he was like... Because I also sort of saved the tour for those guys too because they didn't have to fly they didn't have to fly people in and freak out and you know so so they were genuinely happy and this guy now and i said okay so here's the deal um my band gets to stay in the same hotels because we were doing like red roof ins we were doing travel like we we were getting bed bugs yeah you know there was like there was there was bad times happening so i said now my band gets a room wherever Regina is. And she was doing Four Seasons and, you know, like top of the line hotels. So then, the I think the best part, I slept so well that night because <laughs> I went to my band, Zach and Pat, who had been busting their ass for three days, driving me across the country yes. so I could learn this stuff. And when I got to say, guys, you're, you're staying at the Four Seasons tonight. It was like, we partied. I mean, it was just so great, you know, and- um, In the middle of the tour. In the middle of the they tour. Must have been- yeah, tearing up yeah. with joy. Right? It, it was You're just, just like, oh, so fantastic. Total quality of life changer. The whole thing changed. Yeah. But then I now I was in her band. So then when I left to with Kishibashi to tour with her, she had half a Jupiter One in her band. We were touring the world and stuff. So that band went on indefinite hiatus, which has been you know eight years now. So <laughs> <laughs> so that was sort of the end of Jupiter One, but. Um, uh, but well, Kishibashi, well not, he's doing his solo thing and it's widely successful and people are loving what he's doing. He's loving life. He moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. No, he moved to Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. He was in. The, he left Regina's band to do of Montreal around the same time I left to join Sandra Larique's band. And the way that happened was that we were playing uh, a, a venue called Rockefeller in Oslo. And it was December of 2009. And uh, he, Sandra Lerke, who was living in Brooklyn for, at that time, like seven years or so, he was in Oslo to do like a publishing gig, like to perform something for a publishing company. And Obama was there getting the Nobel Peace Prize. And I was there with Regina. So me, Sandra, and Obama were chilling in Oslo. And Regina, yeah, in Oslo. And, yeah, we're hanging Just out. A she, she's got a show. Crew. So she calls up the band in the hotel room says, hey, Sandra Lerke is in town, and we recorded this song called Hell No together for the Dan in Real Life soundtrack. So he's going to jump on stage, and we're going to perform it together. You guys have to learn this song. Mm-hmm. So we're like, cool, no problem. So we 
we started learning the music and um, he showed up and he had these bright blue pants with a bright blue Gretsch guitar. And Regina's one of the most amazing singers I've ever heard in my life. I mean, her and Susanna Sunfer from Oslo have the most intensely accurate pitch and most goosebump uh, provoking voices I've ever heard in my life. So she's great and she's very uh, classical in her technique. So you always want to sort of keep it the same every night, but try to do it better than you did the night before, mm -hmm. which is another skill. You know, it's like, how do I do the same thing, but even better? And so that was a cool intensity that you could build in her group. But then when Sandra got on the stage, this guy's born of jazz and improvisation. And he just was like all over the place. Like, yeah, whatever. Fuck. Yeah. Whoa. What was that? Okay, cool. You know, yeah. just all over the place and just throwing shit out left and right. Nothing was the same. It was always something different. And I was just like, oh, this feels so good. You know, yeah. it, was like, it was like a really nice change. And so we did that show together. We met backstage. I met his sister-in-laws and uh, we were talking he said yeah I actually live in Brooklyn I said okay I'm in Jersey City let's get together sometime and play but that was December 2009 I continued touring with Regina it wasn't until September of 2010 actually August I'm sorry August of 2010 so a good like whatever like nine months later I was dating a girl in Florida and And uh, she loved Sandra Lerke and sent me a link to this cover song he did of Animal Collective's Bluish. Mm -hmm. And I listened to it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I sent him a note. I said, hey, man, just want to let you know it was a great job on that cover song. He said, I was just thinking about you. Can you come and work on this new record with me? I'm in the studio doing demos and trying to workshop ideas. And I just need someone in the room. I just, you know, can you come down and, and do some shit? I said, sure. So we went to Saltlands. You ever recorded there, Paul? No, I have not recorded there. Um, you know Dawn Landis? I don't know these people. Okay, Dawn Landis is a great musician, but she was engineering that session down at Saltlands. And where uh, is this studio? In it was in Dumbo. Okay, um, like around J Street. And so it was a really cool hang, a really cool spot, and we sort of. So that was the second time we met, and here we are, like. Trying to Get come up right with ideas. into a creative yeah, situation, exactly, yeah, yeah. which is, which is interesting, but he's so easy to work with, and and one of the, like, I guess one of the defining moments that we like to talk about is we were in a, the control room, which is a lot like this room, yeah. and he has acoustic guitar, and he said, okay, I'm thinking of a song like this, like, and he plays this song on acoustic guitar. He says, do you want to try that one? I was like, yeah, let's get in there and see what happens. We went in the live room, and we just played it down straight and that was the take we used on the record just guitar and, and just drums and drums and acoustic vocals. guitar and i just he what he was shocked about was that i knew the form after hearing it the one time and he was like how did you just know i was like i don't know you know i just listened and it made sense and so he was impressed that i was able to memorize the form in one in time one listen yeah. yeah and i and i just was glad that he would write a song that intuitively made sense to me that i could learn it so quickly yeah and he loved the energy of the take and we just kept that take and that's the one that went on the record and then we went into rare book room studios do you know that one on dobbins i don't know that one it's a cool in studio Greenpoint? on dobbins street uh yeah it's in greenpoint yeah. and um nick who who engineered and maybe mixed i think he mixed like the spoon 
no, the Dirty Projectors record, uh, Bit of Orca, that one. That's a beautiful record. Yeah, yeah, he worked on that one. He also worked on Spoon's Transference record. And so he's done a lot of so heavies. He, yeah, he's a... Yeah. yeah, really cool guy and really cool studio. So we booked time in there. And this this is where it gets interesting is because when he called me to do the actual record, by some unknown coincidence, he's like, yeah... I want two drummers on the record. It's you and Mackenzie Smith, who was Regina's drummer. Who was Regina's original drummer. Original drummer, who I came in and replaced, who I was good friends with. So then we had a a good time with that. He played half the songs. I played half the songs. And um, we also did it at a really difficult time because we were doing a a memorial tribute show for Dan Cho, Mm -hmm. who had tragically passed away in Switzerland during one of Regina's tours. Mm -hmm. And... um, I said, hey, I can't do the recording that day because I'll be doing this memorial show. It's going to be a heavy day. And then he called me. I was in the grocery store, like the cereal aisle. (laughs) And he was like, hey, I got your email. And I just want to say I'm sorry about the timing of this. But I also have to say I'm sorry that I can't move it. It, Just because my producer flew in from Norway, it has to be this day. Is there any way you can do both? And I stood there in the aisle and I thought well, if there's no way I'll, I can do both, you know, because it's going to be such an emotional day. Yeah. And then I thought, but music has been so sad for the last, you know, at that time it was like three months of just playing with an empty spotlight on Dan's chair on stage and Regina would sometimes cry during a show and I'd walk off the drums and sit next to her on the piano bench or and comfort her and like this is during shows. Yeah, you know? I mean, tough, yeah. The, like it had been really hard on everybody and I just thought, maybe I need to be... Like, music had become such a sad experience for months at this point. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, so I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. We'll find a way. So I remember I went to the studio first, and we had a, just a fucking blast playing. It's off the Sandra Larrake's self-titled album. And we just, we just connected. We had a blast just playing this music. And then at some point I had to leave to go to Soundcheck for the memorial show at Music Hall Williamsburg, which wasn't far. So I went there. And then I'm in, now I'm in this like other environment. And mm-hmm. everyone's there. And we're all happy to see each other. And, uh, but we're all there with our heads down. And you know we're doing the sound checking. And then I left Soundcheck and I went back to the studio to record more. And now we're back in this like wonderful environment. We're like making all this great music. We're just having a, just a great fucking time, man. Doing all these overdubs. We're having a blast. And and then I had to leave to go perform the actual thing. And I get there, and now we're back to this other environment. And I remember sitting in the backstage with my head down, and I literally just said to myself, "I'm done with this. You know, like I'm done with this part of music. With feeling this sad, feeling this bad." And I didn't want to be around that anymore. Yeah, which is understandable, right? Yeah, and I just, especially coming off this other thing, and I was like, that's what music was to me, always has been. And now it's just been this really, like, heartbreaking thing. And uh, I just, I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So we did we did the memorial show. It was a beautiful show. Um, I left there knowing that I don't think I was ever going to go back. Yeah. You know? And then... And then that was sort of, and that was sort of it. You know, Regina and I exchanged a lot of beautiful emails and uh, heartwarming thoughts, and uh, we continued to play a little bit after that. I think I can't, I can't remember, but but that was basically 
the end. And and then I had been with Sandra, and we're still good friends, Regina and I. Today, there was no bad blood. There was nothing like that. But you know, she understood, and I understood. Um, I was essentially the last remaining member of the Dan Cho legacy of that band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I left, there was nothing more to sort of be sad about in a way for both of us. So, so anyway, so then I moved on with Sandra to this like really exhilarating, new, exciting, new, exciting fun thing. Yeah. Music just came, got back to being fun and beautiful, and and that's and that was seven years ago. So, you know, that that's how it started. That's how we got together. That was the beginning. Yeah, that was the beginning. <clears throat> and w- now, in those first seven years. Did you start? You're slowly starting to spend more time over in Norway, meeting. There's only yeah. it's a country of five million people. I mean, you yeah. probably must know every musician in the yeah. entire Norwegian scene. Well, right? I should I should say that Sandre, for people who don't know his music, he was uh, at 17 years old. He got his first record deal mm-hmm. in Bergen, Norway, small town. You know, Oslo is even bigger town than Bergen. But uh, so he's from a small town in Norway. He was like a sensational sort of like, you know, wonder kid. Um, not in the like boy band sense of Hansen and shit because he was writing like, his success was the fact that he was writing these adult songs that adults could really relate to at such a young age. Mm. So he became famous really quick at a young age. And um, it's not hard to be famous in a country that small, especially when you actually are talented and actually doing something relevance yeah so he got a little um restless you know and wanted to escape into the anonymity of new york city and like no longer be famous because you know i mean i guess at a certain point people know who you are but maybe they're not even maybe listening to what you're doing currently mm-hmm. they just know who you are and that's what it is so he wanted to like escape into new york and like you know, his fan base here is way more into what he's doing as an artwork instead of who he is. So people who know him, they know his music. Yeah. There's no one's going, oh, yeah, Sandra Lair guy, I know his face and I know who he is. No one knows guy, who yeah. he is unless you know his music. So he loves that about being here. So he moved to here uh, as soon as he could. And he had got married pretty quickly to a girl named Mona Fastfold. And they were living in Brooklyn. So let's see, he probably moved here in like 2002, something like that. And um, he's been, uh, still he still lives here, though he owns an apartment, beautiful apartment in Oslo now for the last couple of years. So when we're touring, we stay at his apartment there. And uh, he sort of Airbnbs that when he's gone and vice versa. So he's got two residences, basically, mm-hmm. Oslo and Brooklyn. But... When, uh, so he was already famous there, but living in America, when I started playing with him, we decided to do a, our first TV appearance with me and the band over there, because he'd been playing solo for six years before. Just solo, just guitar Just solo, voice. guitar. Because he had a Norwegian band when he was living there, and then when he stopped there, he just didn't, like, believe that... He, there was musicians that he could just like fall into place with or or didn't feel like doing the the research or whatever he just he just felt like you know i got this is my song i played solo i can do it so he'd been playing by himself for six years the idea of like finding a band was a little overwhelming for him yeah so we just happened to me we uh, 
you know, hooked up. And then he was sort of inspired about the idea, like, maybe I can play with other people. And, and, and he really liked the idea of having a band. So I was the first, you know, guy in his band since he'd been playing solo for six years. So we went over to Norway with this, like, new band concept. But now we needed a couple musicians in Norway. So we got over there. We had heard that there's these two guys, Chris and Alexander, who were schoolmates since kindergarten. And they actually went to the same high school as Sandre. Mm -hmm. But they were a little younger, so he didn't know them. But they all knew him, you know. So then we get in this rehearsal room. And it was, again, like, just click. These guys did their homework. They were so badass. We did a first rehearsal. It was like eight hours straight. Like, no one complained, nothing. And I just was like, dude, that was rare. Because he didn't know. Like, to him, it was great. But he was like, cool, maybe this is how it works. I'm like, nope, that was special. That was a special moment. Like, this isn't normal so it was we, a bass player and a keyboard player yeah adding up full, filling out the band yeah. yeah and they were like brothers they've been they grew up together yeah so they already had a thing they had, already had a thing. yeah yeah and then here we all, all all they're all from bergen once i got there i fell in love with bergen and i wound up dating a girl in bergen for years and you know so i really inundated myself into the bergen scene and that's a really cool musical scene mm. that's like there's you wouldn't believe how cool the musicians are out there, like what they're doing so authentically. And like, they have real like pure respect for like all the old Brazilian shit, all the old 70s rock shit. Anything they're doing, they're doing it like right on point. Mm. You know, so the psych rock yeah. bands out there are super tight. The like Tropicalia bands are like super legit. Like everyone has a lot of respect for music out there and they're doing a great job, like amazing musicians. So I got really into Bergen, and um, this band that we sort of just got lucky with, we've stuck together. So that was April 2011, and these are the only guys we play with in Norway. We, when we do America, we have to like sort of find American bands, and I usually always get you know great players yeah. um, to do that with. And oddly enough, our first Letterman performance, he was doing some solo shows in Ohio, and he called me up. He said, "Hey, we got the Letterman, so we're gonna. I'm gonna fly in. I had to cancel a show in Ohio. I'm gonna fly in. We're gonna do Letterman. I'm gonna fly back out and continue these solo shows. Can you put a band together and can we do this?" I said, "Yeah." So if you go on YouTube and you search the "Private Caller" was the song Sandra right. Larrick, "Private Sandra Caller," David Letterman. Letterman. That performance that you're watching is literally the first time Sandra had ever seen those guys. Or met them. He hadn't even played with them before. <laughs> that what you're seeing is the first time he'd played, met, and ever set eyes on David Lismy and Zach Caldwell. Yeah. So Zach from Fancy Colors, and I called and, him to play keyboards. He did a great job. Dave Lismy, bass player who plays with a lot of people, he uh, played bass. And we rehearsed the song together, the three of us, the night before. That Smash Studios, like the fucking worst rehearsal space. Yeah. <laughs> and we just one song. Can you imagine? We yeah. just rehearsed one song. Without the singer. Without the singer. Player. For like hours. Just because I knew that Sandra was going to fly in. And when you go there, it's like seven. It's like you load in at five in the morning. You load in insanely early. Yeah, five in the morning. It's freezing you cold. You have to do the the blocking, the staging. Yeah, yeah all that shit. It's stressful. It's stressful. And it's Letterman. So it's like Letterman. you want to do. a huge deal, yeah. And this that is was, at Ed Sullivan. Theater, right? Probably, yeah. The one right in Midtown. Yeah, yeah, where it was. And and for me, just to share like a stupid little thing for me, that as a kid, I would sit in front of the TV watching the bands on Letterman and always dream of like 
doing that. Yes. So this was the actual culmination of my dreams. Yes. No, this, you know? is, this is super big. This yeah, is and I, I love everything. And, like, everything I do, I find a way to look at it as, like, this beautiful moment. But this, if we're going to say, like, there's one thing that defined your dreams of growing up, that was it for me. TV, yeah. Was, was doing Letterman specifically. So I was, like, I would literally watch the drummers and imagine me there. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a little kid, so this is a big moment for me, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to fuck this up. Like Sandra's not this even here, so we're like, you know, and so Sandra flies in, and he gets on her, the day of the taping. So day you're of the taping, there. you had to be there. there. We loaded in. It was like four thirty in the morning. Yeah, we loaded in, and it's freezing. It's notoriously freezing cold in that studio. So you're like already nervous. Now you're freezing. You load it in. It's super early. You're there. You've got all this time to kill, which is like also nerve wracking in a way. Amy Sedaris was the guest, and she's fucking hilarious, so that made it easy because, like, she's just a weirdo. And yeah. so you're, like, seeing her, you're like, what's up, Amy? She's like, well, hey, Cass, what are you doing? It's fucking cold in here, right? <laughs> like, yeah, okay. So she was sort of making shit a little lighter. Yeah. And uh, the local union crew was really cool, and they were super nice, and Paul Schaefer was cool, and the trumpet player in his band is the the stepfather of a good friend of mine in Jersey City. She owns a vintage store called Another Man's Treasure. So I got to be like, hey, what's up? I'm friends with Mika. He was like, oh, cool. You know, so I had some things that were grounding me. Yeah. But Sandre shows up. I was like, hey, Sandre, this is Zach. This is David. He's like, hey, nice to meet you. We're about to perform on television. You know, on Letterman. Here we on go. On Letterman. Did you get to film it twice or film it once? No, and we, did it, the once. First, once we did it once. Once and done. And and. And we just, you know, and it's just so funny to, to think when you watch that performance, you would never know that he had never met that band before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zach from Fancy Colors and David Lizzie. And of course, I knew both those guys, so I'm feeling good. And, I and you're like, do you trust them? Yeah, yeah, I know. And we had rehearsed it for hours the night before, so I'm feeling good about it. But Sandre, who's not used to playing with other people in general, <laughs> but he fucking yeah. killed it. Because you know, he can do all the shit. When I, I mean, he, you, you should see him solo too because his solo thing, he's so confident and he emotes so much shit, just him. And you, you know, one of the reasons why I knew I wanted to play with him was because I saw him at Luster Pearl, South by Southwest, before we did that demo session recording because we were in touch and he said, oh, I'm doing this solo thing. If you're here, I'm here. So I came to watch him. It's freezing cold. He's playing electric guitar, doing a solo set with his fingers just falling off. And he was so cool, and it was, and there was so much being done on stage that I was actually imagining myself on that stage with him, and what what I could be doing to help push the music along and contribute. And I and I really felt like, oh, I need to get up there with him. Like, there's things I want to communicate with him. Yeah. And so, since he's so confident and strong with that, I never really have to worry about him. The only thing I have to worry about is like. Is everyone else gonna be able to follow what he, whatever, wherever he's going? He could go anywhere. Yeah. He can go anywhere. Is everyone else gonna follow that? So the guys in Norway are super in tune with that, and those guys are like, you know, it's it's tight as shit over there. So here he is, Letterman, never meeting these guys, and yeah. so I was a little nervous, but but it it was great. It was so fun. It was a great performance, and and that was it. He said thanks, guys, and he got on the plane and went back. It to went back to his tour, bit. yeah. And that was the only time that band had ever played together like that. Zach Fancy Colors opened up for his 2012 tour, and we uh, released our first record near Equator at that time. And so we did a tour with him where we opened up as a duo, me and Zach, and we were also his backing band as a trio. 
So Zach did wind up playing more with Sandre. Did Zach pl he plays guitar? Yeah, well, he, in that keys. he was playing bass and keyboards and flute and All sax. All at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Zach is a, he's a low-key musical yeah. genius, he's right? He's totally genius, yeah. And I say this all the time, you know, he's like, he's one guy who's just, his taste is, you know, impeccable. He will always do the right thing. Yeah. He's got the best taste of anyone. And for, just so people who mm -hmm. might not know, Fancy yeah. Colors is you and Zach, a duo project, maybe where you have a lot of creative control and input and... Well, Zach and I have played together for years in Jupiter One. In Jupiter One. He's the reason why I joined Jupiter One. Uh, Mark Juliana, who's a fantastic world-class drummer. I've known him since he was 16 years old. He was the drummer in that band originally. In Jupiter One. In Jupiter One. Yeah. And I went to check him out to support my friend who was playing drums. So I'd never known those guys. Yeah. But they played a song that Zach had written, only one song of the whole set, that Zach sang. So Zach and Kay would write about half of the Jupiter One songs. They, but Kay always sang them. So, but Zach was always writing about half, so he actually sang one that he wrote. And when he sang and played the keyboard, I was like, oh shit. Who is this cat? Yeah, like, Who is whoa, this dude? who's yeah. this dude? And I, and I could hear the way his brain was working, mm -hmm. you know, and I thought, man, his brain is dope. Like, yeah. I like the way he thinks about songs. And um, all of you guys, you're all Jersey cats. Yeah, met exactly. through the Zach's Patterson from Austin, kind of but he went to William Patterson for jazz saxophone. He quit after like a year. So he never really graduated. Um, he didn't see the point in it really. And he's, so he was like a, a learned jazz sax player, but he could play all the instruments since he was a kid. Yeah, but he um, sings. He plays guitar. Yeah, plays, so he plays. met through he met Mark through the William Patterson connection, and Kay, uh, he actually went to Cornell and flunked out because he was smoking too much pot. Mm -hmm. And he went to Berkeley, and then he wound up meeting Mark and those guys, and Neil Persiani, who was playing bass, who is now in that band Dance D N C E. Yes, that's Nick so, Jonas. He, yeah, he goes by Cole Whittle now, but he his name was Neil Persiani. And he did a complete name change? Yeah, he did a complete name change. And if you check him out on Instagram, he's just a wild guy. Yeah. Cole Whittle. Check him out. But he was, <laughs> when he was Neil Persiani, he would only wear like khaki cargo shorts and a t shirt. And we'd be like, dude, why don't you like dress up for. He's like, no, nah, man, that shit's stupid. I'll never fucking do that. And now if you look at him, wow. Wow. He's yeah. like, he's a total fashion piece of his own. Like, not just fashion with clothes, like, he's like a living like a living fashion uh, inspiration. A real artist. He's yeah, I mean, he just, every single thing he does, breathes, eats, drinks, is just like a statement. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incredible. I, I To see him now from when back then. So he was original bass player. He was always nasty. I mean, his bass playing was always as ridiculous always. as it is now. Yeah. But his whole personality is just real. He's really, and it's not, it's funny with Neil, I feel like I always knew through his playing that he was that guy he is now, but he was married at the time to like a school teacher, sweet woman. And I just think he was like living this like other sort of sweet life that was different from music. And I think he liked having this- uh, The steady life. The sort yeah. of steady thing. But so when I look at him now, that's who Neil always was in my mind. Like, so so he didn't change. He, it's more like he shed that layer that was keeping him from being who he really is mm -hmm. so he he never like 
really change. He just became more actualized and fully realized. And everyone, I really recommend everyone checking him out. He plays bass in the band Dance. Go to his Instagram, Cole Whittle. So, you know, he's just, he's a wild dude. So he was playing bass, and Mark was about to go tour with Avishai Cohen, because Mark's a really killing jazz player. This is when his kind of career was taking exactly. off. Exactly, right? his career was taking off with Avishai. So he's like, hey man, do you mind actually subbing in this band while I'm gone? And I was like, in my mind, I had just seen that Zach play that song, and I, and I was like, oh man, I'd love to play with this guy. So when he said that, that same night, I was like, fuck, yeah, of course, man. I'll be there. I'll yeah. be there. I'll do it. So then when Mark was gone, I was I fully inundated myself because I was in that show Stomp down the Lower East Side for two years at the time. And just as I had left that show was when I went to go hear them at Lion's Den, which is now, I think it's called Sullivan Street something. I don't even know if that's even still a club, it's, dude. I might not be. Is but it still there? Lion's Den. Lion's yes, Den yes. was like, that was, was like, like the, you know, it was the worst. Venue. It was like a shitty venue that everyone played on Sullivan yes, Street. It was like when you're a college kid. You yeah, there, yeah, exactly. So I went to see him Lion's Den and Mark asked me to do that. I was like, yeah, great. And then now I was no longer doing Stomp. I was actually looking for like a project to sort of immerse myself in. So I just did it with this and, and we rehearsed a bunch and we got into arranging and, and uh, you know, and I love arranging, like I love being an editor because I suck at lyrics. <laughs> so like I never, and Zach's a poet, man. His lyrics are some of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Um, I, and so his poetry was already there and I didn't need to contribute lyrically and good thing because I suck at that. So I love like, employing my talents as an editor is being mm -hmm. like hey i feel like maybe if we do this or do that so i got into that aspect of it and they really liked that i was contributing there and i really liked what they were doing so then when mark came back mark was so busy anyway you know he wasn't really uh too upset about it i think but Kay just said do you mind if dave just stays in the band and he was like oh yeah sure no problem and he just you know he's always been a great friend so that never affected our thing and i think he was totally fine with it he's been so busy doing yeah he's thing. completely blown up he just yeah, published a book that's like on the cover of downbeat you know? exactly like, well, okay all right it, which i was so and mark if you're listening he put me in the thank yous and i was really touched by that and i read it um in his book at the end he thanked like a series of drummers that that had you know influenced him somehow in life and so my name was amongst all those heavy guys that's amazing. Which was just, it was just a really beautiful thing because nowadays to see your name in print on something, it just doesn't happen. It, yeah, nothing you know? is tactile anymore, yeah, right? Like, exactly. So here I'm holding my friend who I've known since he was 16 years old, this book with him on the cover, and he put my name in the thing. So I was really touched by that. And, and uh, someone just asked me recently, like, you know, what's the coolest thing that's happened to you this year? And I think I actually mentioned that. <laughs> Because I was so touched by that. But but anyway, so I started playing with Jupiter One. And uh, we later, we roughed it out for years. Because that was 2004. Our first show was Halloween 2004. And we didn't get discovered by our manager until 2007, I think. So for three years, we were just like hoofing Ooh. it in Lower East Side. We were playing pianos one night. This guy, Ryan Rudin, who was a manager for Eminem's company at the time, heard us randomly, yeah. loved it, said, I want to manage you guys. We said, great. And then he got us a record deal like a year later with Warner Warner Music Group. So then we put out two records with them, and we toured for three years in advance. And we got like a Mazda commercial, which at that time paid a lot. 
was 2007, so we got a lot of money for this commercial, which kept us on the road. So that was how I wound up touring with Jupiter One, and then we wound up with Regina Spector, and now here we are. Now Sandre. Yeah. So then, well, there we missed a few years there. We yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Jupiter One years, you mean? No, then from, um, so then from like 2012 to now has been yeah, specifically so, Sandre, exactly. Fancy Colors. Yes, yeah, so uh, sorry. Bernhoff, who we have not mentioned. Right, Maya Vick, who we started to talk about a little bit. Maya Vick. Um, so yeah, so Zach, the story started out about Zach, and I somehow made it about me. But so backing track. So so Zach, when I had him come in, so I've been making music with Zach since two thousand and four. Forever, yes. You know, so it's been thirteen years. Yeah. So when Sandre said, "Hey, let's do this Letterman thing," I called Zach. Then from there, I said, "Hey, he should be in your band. Let's do a Fancy Colors combo tour." So we did that. And then that was it. So then Zach and I, who used to be in Jupiter One together, we splintered off to do Fancy Colors with our bass player, Pat Doherty, at the time. And because um, Jupiter One went through seven bass players. When we got to Pat Doherty, we kept him. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a lot. But so me, Zach, and Pat started doing Fancy Colors. And then Kay was like, well, I want to do a thing. So I was like, yeah, maybe you should do your, your solo thing. So he was like, well, maybe I'll call it Kishibashi because his name is Kei Yishibashi. And we were like, yeah, it's a cool name. Go for cool it. Cool name. Go for it, yeah. Then his shit like blew up and no yeah. one knows who Fancy Colors is. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. People know who Fancy Colors well, is. Well, you know, people who are in the know know. Yeah. But as Zach put it one night, he was like, listen, man, you know, if you were a restaurant, right? Do you know the name of a restaurant that everybody knows? McDonald's. Everybody knows McDonald's. Everybody knows McDonald's. Man. McDonald's. Everyone knows McDonald's. Wouldn't you rather be like that cool vegetarian hummus restaurant place that's like on the corner of 9th and Avenue A that only like some cool people come into? I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, I want to be the hummus place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Kishibashi went to like, you know, a lot of fame and, and now we're the hummus place. So that's cool. That's all right, dude. <laughs> but we got a new record coming out. We have a new record coming out. Yeah, a couple months. couple tracks. Yeah, it's going to be an EP, I think. But we have more than that. We just... I think we're going to release two EPs instead of one, right? That whole thing. Yes. Now we have to do stagger releases, videos, yeah, exactly, content creation. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, does, is Nylon, does this studio have any kind of like involvement in it? Or like no, I mean, we record. Or is no, this just a, a we manage ourselves. We, we record all of our stuff here at Nylon. Mm-hmm. So this has become after hours. So Zach's been a full time composer here. And so between 6 p.m. and 8 a.m., is when we've got full access and we would just record all through the night here. Uh, and we've done a lot of stuff. I mean, it's been it's been a long time. So we've put out a bunch of records, our first one in 2012, and we've put out, you know, Island of the Dead. We put out an EP called Hallucinatory, sorry, Hallucinatory Translations, which is an all-covers EP. That's pretty cool. Uh, and we uh, now have this this new one coming out. Um, and we've done a lot of remixes because we really love remixing artists. So we only do people that we like know or that we like. Mm-hmm. So we did this great one for Susana Sunfer, who I mentioned earlier, and that's called Can You Hear the Thunder? That's a beautiful one. Her voice is great. We did one for Alexandra Stewart. It was called Lullaby, that one. Uh, we've done a few for Sandre that have, that have gotten a lot of radio play out in Norway. 
Uh, we did a Bernhoff one. That's really great. And then I wound up, Bernhoff is a guy I met um, while being in Norway. Mm-hmm. And so we did a, a remix of his tracks. And then he was looking for an American band. So I put together an American band of mutual friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. And so sometimes I get to play with him. Maya Vik is a really great um, model and musician out in Norway. And she needed some American players. So I got to play with her uh, when she was out here. And when I'm out there in Norway, I spend as much time with her as I can. She's just the coolest, sweetest person. And um, there's, yeah, so, you know. Uh, you are the glue between the Norwegian <laughs> and American music scene. Yeah, Basically, exactly. I'm, trying, right? I'm, like, like, I'm a human bridge between really Norway, are, yeah. Norway and New York. I mean, you truly so. have <clears throat> interesting, I, I have so many ideas and concepts. But So Bernhoff, too, much like Sandre, solo artist, right? A, yeah. A, a, Solo yeah, artist brilliant who, solo. Who brilliant solo. Developed the looping thing, yeah. right? I mean, he yeah. probably went viral for that one looping yep. video, right? Yep. Yeah, can you... Uh, t- was it Talk To Me? Was it that one, Talk maybe? To Me, yeah. And so here's, here's how, how I can frame this question for you, because you maybe have insight. So the Scandinavian culture, mm. incredibly musical culture, Super, right? Super, like, I had no idea, man. I mean, you think of cozy sweaters and hot chocolate and shit, but these guys are like... Such heavy musicians, so right? So heavy. Everybody out there, man. It's it's the talent is unreal. Is it like there. do you think it would it's embarrass like, it would embarrass us New Yorker guys? Like we're all a scene, right? Like we all know each other. We're tough, we Yorkers, would be yeah. embarrassed by those guys. Like but they all love what we're doing. And you know, they like for whatever reason, they like the way we approach music and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it's sometimes I'm like, man, if, if, you if guys all my New doing- York friends knew what was happening here in Bergen, like we'd feel stupid. I feel like, well, what, so what is it specifically, like, culturally about the Scandinavian culture that I leads about to this. such prime musicianship? I mean, right, yeah. there's only 9 million people in Sweden. I don't know if it's exact religious to bring that up, but that's the third highest per capita hmm. hit song country. You yeah. know, like, obviously, an Icelandic music yeah. is obviously the cutting edge, yep. right? How Sweden, many Sweden is like its own thing, and I can't really attest to that because I, I don't spend as much time there. But uh, you're right about that. They've always been, Norway's always been like the little brother in, in the eyes of, of the Swedes. Mm-hmm. But um, the truth is, you know, the music's just as brilliant. And we've played with the Dunian guys and hung with them, and they're all great, and they never like look down their noses at Norwegians. It's just, it's sort of like the same way that People make fun of New Jersey and New York, but those are only people who moved here from Kansas and shit. Yeah. It was like, oh, New Jersey. It's like, where are you from? Michigan? That's cool. Like, what? (laughs) But, like, New Yorkers don't make fun of New Jersey. It's like, what's it? it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same. It's one and of the same. So, Swedish people don't necessarily look down on it, but it's the global view that they like to sort of purvey that idea. So, that stereotype is, like, somewhat fiction somewhat a little dated well is yeah it, i mean norway's only been a country for not even yeah 18 i want to say 1817 i think was when they got their constitution so yeah. it's been like it'll be 200 years wow yeah it's two, it must have been 1814 then so it's a little over because it was years. one country 
Yeah. Not that we have to go too into history, not that we're history buffs. Well, they were but ruled by Denmark. They were ruled by Denmark. And, and then when they when they got their independence from Denmark, they asked Sweden to, to help govern them while they figured out their constitution and shit. Mm-hmm. So for a while, Sweden was running them. And maybe that's where this thing this comes whole, from. The original beef. Yeah, yeah, like you were, you know, we were... We were watching, we were babysitting you guys while you figured out your shit, you know, maybe that's there. But to get back to Norway, I mean, I I think about that a lot. And right now they're having a big, uh, like enlightening moment in pop music where you've got Sigidi, who's from Bergen. Mm -hmm. She's huge with that hit, Don't Kill My Vibe. You got Aurora, who's also from Bergen, and she's been blowing up. Um... And, you know, Roiksop's been around for a while. Those guys are, like, sort of seen as Swedish and Norwegian at the same time. But, but uh, you know, there's Susanna Sundfors has been huge here for a while now. She's living in Oslo, but she's originally from Haugesund, which is an even smaller town than Bergen. And there's a lot of great musicians from Haugesund, too, which is a small town. But in Oslo, of course, a lot of people sort of emigrate to, to there because that's, like, a convenient city for everyone to be making music and recording. But Lars Valar, who is Sandre's cousin, is the number one hip-hop artist in Norway. Mm. And this guy is killing it. Mm. He's so dope with the, the rap music he's doing. He does beats, he does lyrics, he does everything. He, well, he does lyrics and raps. He's got people who help him out with the, the production end. And I'm trying to get Fancy Colors to, to produce a couple tracks for him on something upcoming. But we did a collaboration together, Sandra and Lars, um, where I came into Bergen in the studio and we took this track and we built it from the bottom up. It's called Oynene Luket, which means eyes closed. And we just like built up this track, Sandra put a chorus on it, we sent it to Lars, he wrote a rap verse on it and it became a top 20 hit. Amazing. And it, and it was yeah. huge. And so they're cousins, which is funny because their music is so different. But Lars is so fucking cool with what he's doing. He raps in Bergensk, which is the dialect from Bergen, which mm-hmm. is what Sandri speaks and I speak and the whole other band speak. So I love when people rap in dialect because there's so many dialects mm. or when they sing in dialect like Gabriella, who's also a huge pop star in Norway. She sings in Bergen dialect. I find that really, really inspiring and cool. Mm. So he's rapping in this pretty obscure dialect of Norway. It's not obscure. Forget that. Well, it's it's like global, it's, it's specific, yeah. you know, yeah, is what I mean to say. And and uh, he's rapping and it's the shit is so the music is so cool. Check it out, man. I'll send you a link. But Lars Vaular, uh, the stuff is so and he's been putting on shows lately that'll just blow your mind with the lights and just the the attention to detail and the the shit is so, he's a real performer and he just headlined the Oya festival last show of the last night in Oslo and he calls me up like three days before the concert this is in front of 17,000 people in a big stadium outdoors he says hey man I'm doing I'm headlining the event I'm, would you come out because I'm coming out in a wedding dress and they're gonna lift me up to the ceiling in a wedding dress and this wedding not just wedding dress the whole trail of it whatever they call it the train whatever yeah. the thing in the back of yes, it the tr- was yes. so big that it winds up some, there was a bunch of people who connected it to the stage lighting truss, and as the lighting truss went up, it's a big white sheet that would become the projection screen. So he's wearing this wedding dress he's that's wearing... taking 30 people behind him to carry the, the train of it. And then they lift him up, and now he's singing from the top. When they lower him down, he has to go and get undressed from that big wedding gown and change into clothes. So he wanted someone to come out and do something in that time. So he's like, can you come out and like lip sync 
to this Croatian funk slow jam and do a dance for like three minutes and then I'll come back out. So, of course, I'm like, yeah, of course, I got this, whatever. So Duly noted that you are an exceptional dancer. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. So we were, Sandra and I were touring at the time. So in the hotel rooms, I remember I'd like to. This is the night before? This is three days before. Okay, three days before you're getting a gig offer. Yeah. So then I'm 17,000 people. Yeah, come up, choreograph a three-minute dance piece, essentially, while learning these lyrics in Croatian. Because, yeah, you're for all those people, but there's a jumbotron screen that's going to be zoomed in. So I have to look convincing. So now I have to learn this funk jam, learn these Croatian words. And, and you know, so it's hard to memorize that because you don't yeah, have any. Other yeah, tip. you don't have any way to, you know. There's no cheat sheets, especially no che- if you're choreographing. No. Like so I would write out the lyrics phonetically the way I just thought they would, the way I would read them. Yeah. They're probably misspelled all over the place, but I would just write them down the way that, and I would practice this. And, and we were in hotel rooms that were really tiny. I'd move the suitcase against the bathroom door and like put the chair on the bed and like to try to make room f- to imitate a stage that is gigantic that I'm gonna have to dance on. Yes. So that was super fun. And then I, at a certain point I was like, man, okay, how's this gonna go? I don't know. So then we show up and we do it and no one knew what was going on. Like no one knew. Half of the tech guys only knew that there was gonna be this dude named Hagamanen, which means the gentleman in Norwegian. It's my nickname over there. Yeah. So that that this guy was going to come out and dance. Like, barely people even knew what was going on. So I come out there. It's a shock to half the people on the stage. It's a shock to me because I don't even know how good it's going to be. The audience is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, <laughs> which was the whole point. Which was, yeah. You know, and and then and Lars didn't even get to see it because he's backstage changing out. Yeah. So he, does, he doesn't know he doesn't what's going on. He doesn't even know if you're killing it yeah, or, or not. crashing, no, burning. Yeah. He trusts you, yeah. clearly. Yeah. So then I showed him. But, so Dave, to put a little bit, the people of Norway, yeah. they know who you are though, right? Well, some, yeah, like, right. but 17,000 people don't know who I am that are standing out there. They're like, is that the drummer for Sandre? Is that a, Yeah, because don't forget. Were you, maybe, were you on a TV show in Norway? Oh, I was. I was the um, co-mentor on the show The Voice. In Norway. Forgot the Norwegian version of The Voice. Yeah, so The Voice was originally a Danish show that is licensed to several countries, and they did it in America as The Voice. They do it a lot of places. So the first season of The Voice in Norway, Sandra and I were the mentors yeah. judging a team of singers. So, so you ha- you probably have like a Q rating in Norway. You yeah, know what I, mean? like, <laughs> I so, got IMDB yeah, like in Norwegian. So it, the fact that you're getting on stage, like there must have been some people like. Yeah, some people recognized from that show because that was the number one hit show at yeah. that time. So right. everyone was tuning in to that. And I was the only guy speaking English on that whole show. So they would have to subtitle what I said in Norwegian. <laughs> so a lot of people were wondering, A, who the fuck is this guy? B, why am I having to read his subtitles? Is he that important? That he's... And uh, so then... Uh... <laughs> so many years later, you got a gig at a music festival. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I'm, ju- I'm saying that you're maybe being a little modest. I'm sure there's people who are like, yeah, yeah. is that who I think this is? Yeah, I mean, I, that year for sure a lot of people knew who I was. But that that was 20, I guess, 14 maybe or something. Yeah. So, you know, but people know who I am through Sandra and stuff. But at, at a show like that, you're just a bald guy with sunglasses and like this pinstripe suit on a Jumbotron screen, screen at a Lars Valar concert. So, yeah. No one's really thinking. Like, oh, that's Sanjay's drummer. Yeah. 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 And the whole point was, like, Lars didn't want me to um, 
be too good of a dancer. He said that. He's like, I don't want you to look like, you know, I want you to look awkward and bizarre, like you don't belong there. Singing this. Singing this thing. And that was hard for me because I was like, how do you look like, how do you look awkward? It's, It's tough to like give it in a way that's not really you. Yes, yeah. So I've... um, Sandre, Linnea, Lars, and I went to see Francis and the Lights like just a few weeks before that. And so he's one of my favorite dancers. Mm -hmm. If you guys don't know him, check him out. Francis and the Lights. You know, he had a hit with Bon Iver and and fucking... uh, What the hell? I'm spacing on his name. The guy who thinks he's God all the time, the rapper. He married a Kardashian. Kanye West. Kanye, sorry. Kanye West. So he had a hit with with him called Friends. So maybe you've heard that. But yeah. go deep. Like dig deep into that guy's like music video archive. And he's got some sick moves. I love the way this guy dances. He really can move. All he right. can really move. So after seeing that, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got to just give it. You know? So yeah, I, I'm I go got in. inspired. I did my thing. When I showed Lars the video footage of it afterwards, he was like, what? He couldn't believe that was going on. He was happy. He was like, I think we just made art up there. Yeah. See, I think that was art. I was like, yeah, man, we did some weird shit. So I was there to look weird and do weird things. So not many people really recognized me. But the people who did know were Snapchatting it and shit. And that's how I got to even see it because I didn't know how it looked. And Sandre, you know, uh, blessed Sandre was out there taking a, a, a full-length video of it Dude, too for me to see. Because yeah, yeah. he also performed that night the song that we broke together that I didn't look at track with him and and when that song came out we did quite a few TV performances of that song we also did the voice finale where we performed that song you know so we you know so some people you know they recognize from TV I guess but um, there's not too many bald white guys uh, well there's a lot of bald white guys but there's not too many bald white guys speaking English all the time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have a, but, you have a gig. You have yeah, a, a, so I'm a the American, the American guy. Wow, that's great. So, yeah. <laughs> what's in the what's in the works? What's in the future with Sandre? Then he just kind of released a record, right? Yeah, we just released Pleasure, and we did a world tour. We went to Japan, did all over Europe, did the the three months in Norway over the winter. Then we did all of Norway in the summer. Did all the festivals. Um, we did a, and then the, the, the tour in the States, you know what happened there, right? Did you hear no. about that? Okay. Tell me what happened. So we had this world tour plan for this new record. It was going to be great. Sanji wanted to do it right. He's like, I'm going to go through the right channels, make it legit. I don't want any surprises. So he applies for visas for the, Amer- for the Norwegian band to mm-hmm. play the American tour. So we've had this booked for a long, long time. The Norwegian band, we get to Norway, we're in Bergen, we're doing pre-production for three days. We get the shit sounded tight. Now we're touring Norway for three months. So we've played like 50 shows. We're ready to go to America to do a five-week tour of the States. He put in this application five months in advance. Should have been plenty of time. As it's approaching... The lawyers are like giving us guidance and advice and what we should do or need to do to make sure it's happening. We're playing by the rules. He's paying like, he paid $4,000 just for the application. Good so then... Like an artist kind of visa. Yeah, exactly. Like artist visa. We're ha- and those guys had to do a shit ton of work. Like print out why you deserve to be playing in America. Give us your bio, your resume, your show. You know, they have to do all this stuff. Yeah. So everyone's working hard. <clears throat> We're in 
are we're in our final week of the Norwegian tour. We're leaving. Sorry, we're in our final two weeks of the Norwegian tour, and we contact the lawyers. Say, hey, we still haven't heard yet. They're supposed to get back to us. What's the deal? So the government says, yeah, we see your application here. We see we haven't gotten to it yet. If you want to pay for premium, the American government, the American the, government, okay, American government's like, if you want to pay for pay for premium, we'll guarantee that we look at this application within two weeks. Yeah. Okay. He's like, right, but aren't you guys supposed to just have looked at it already? Yeah, but I see we haven't. So if you want us to, to really, look, it doesn't guarantee you a yes. It just guarantees that we'll look at it. We'll look at within it, yeah. two weeks. Do you want to pay the extra $1,500? He's like, and, he, and me and him are sitting there. He's like, what do I do? I'm like, well, we've done all this work so far. It would be a shame to not do it. So let's do it. So he says, okay. So he pays the money. So now a week goes by. I still haven't heard anything. Three days, four days, five days, six days have gone. A week and six days have gone by. And we paid this extra money to get the answer. So we write, hey, where's the answer? We're leaving tomorrow for America. They say, hey, we see that we haven't gotten to it yet. You did pay the premium, but our offices are based in California and we actually have till midnight on the 14th day to give you that answer. So we're still within our requirements. We couldn't believe it. So midnight in California means 9 a.m. in Norway. Okay. The next day. It's the next day. The next yeah. day. So, so the day that before we fly, we might not know until 9 a.m., so I couldn't believe they were doing that. Poor Sandri spent all this money trying to do it right. Yeah. So while we're sleeping that night, 3 a.m., the answer comes in, no. So now we wake up. It's the last day in Norway. We're playing a show that night. It's our last show of the Norwegian tour. And we all know that our band is not coming with us. And we're flying to America the next morning. The band is not coming. After the band is not coming. $5,500. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, so now we're like, Sandre just sent me a text and it was so sad. He was like, I just want to cancel this tour. And I was going for a walk that morning. I got up early before everyone else. We were on a beautiful like bed and breakfast on the lake and I just went for a walk. And I said, don't worry, man. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. So... He said, okay. And then he went for a walk too. And I remember we both saw each other on our walks so far away. And as we got close, we just put our arms out and embracing this hug, just not even having to say a word. We just knew how sad we were. And we just hugged it out. And then we we gave the the news to, you know, our band in, in the morning at breakfast, though they had already figured out by the email. And we talked about it. And everyone was really bummed out. Now, of course, these guys had cleared out the next five weeks to be in America to tour. To America, yeah. So they're home, and the bass player is a family. He's got two kids and wife, and now he's just home with nothing to do. The keyboard player is yet to... The bass player already toured America with us once. I was looking forward to him doing it again, but the keyboard player, this is going to be his first time. He was yeah. really psyched. And so he didn't get to go. And so everyone was really sad. We're all really bummed. And Sandre was like really scheming ways around it. He's like, what if we like say that you're coming for this, you know, wedding and it's my, it's my bachelor party, like whatever. You know, he's just trying to come just up with any idea. Yeah. He's, he, any, 
And all I'm thinking is, we got to get a new band in America. And Sandra is like, no, no, no. He's not letting go of this. Like, he wants Chris and Alexander to come so bad that he is, like, scheming and scheming. And I remember I had to just say, the guys in America are sleeping. At 3 p.m., they're going to be awake. So by 3 p.m., you have to make a decision. And so here comes 3 p.m., we're in Voss, Norway, a beautiful place. We're sitting at a dining table before the festival. And I just had to tell Sandre, no, we're not going to try to like do this. Because if you try to sneak them in and they don't get in, we're really fucked. Also, they don't get to come to America for like three years because yeah. they get like exiled. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a bad scene for everybody. Every, but, this is a logistical nightmare. Yeah, every, and, and Sandre is such an optimist, which is I love him. But in this case, it was like the one time it was really going to fuck us over. If he like really held on to his belief that we could do it, he just really believed we could find a way, and I I love him for it. But I just had to say, forget it. I'm say la vie, let it go. Yeah. yeah. So now there was a guy named uh, Alan Hampton, who you know, most every musician in America and the world should know Alan Hampton. He's in a great band in New York called Breast Fist with uh, Bill Campbell. And he also plays with Andrew Bird. And he has his solo stuff that he does under Alan Hampton, which is great songwriting. He's got a great voice. He's a beautiful human being. A lot of people mistake us as twins, and they'll come up to me and hug me in public and be like, Alan! I'm like, nah, sorry, man. <laughs> and then I'll text Alan, hey, someone just And the same thing happens to me wherever he is. People be like, yo, Dave Heilman. He's like, nope, it's Alan Hampton. <laughs> which is a great honor, you know. So I love that guy. So I knew I wanted him to play bass. So I called him up, and he said, man, um, I got some Australia dates with Andrew Bird that I can't do it, but you should call Jordan Brooks. And I said, okay, I don't know that guy, but okay, maybe. You trust his word, yeah. Yeah, but the thing was, I had already called Ben Campbell, who plays bass in Fancy Colors, who's a great musician and friend, and I had asked him to uh, to play bass uh, if I needed him. Mm-hmm. Now, he knew that it was contingent on the band not making it. And he was like, yeah, man, I hope they do, but if they don't, sure, I'll do it. But we all always thought that they would. So when I called him that morning to say they didn't make it, can you do it? He was like, dude, I got all this Broadway shit going on, and like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. It was going to be a hassle. He didn't really have the time to just drop everything. That's a tough question to ask. Because they had to... Because you have to clear your schedule for five weeks, and we leave, like, in three days. Yeah. So I'm asking. Ben I gave a heads up on to, like, start checking out the music. But no one's going to really do that unless they know they have to. Yeah, right? of course. And this was, like, 24 songs. It yeah. was, like, a lot of shit. Yeah. Now, um, on keyboards, he, he was a really sweet dude that I had seen play with Robbie Sinclair and his group Laser Cake. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't remember his name. It's Alan. <laughs> what the fuck is his name? The keyboard player. Yeah. Not that dude, Grant Zubritsky. No, 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 no. It's, uh, I toured him fucking five weeks. Jesus Christ. Alan Markley. That's it. <laughs> All right, so here we are. Okay. So that was my edit when you hear that clap. Here yeah. we go. Ready? <laughs> okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So I called... Alan Markley, 
who I'd seen playing in Laser Cake and gave him the same speech where I was like, this band might not make it. If they do, can you, if they don't, can you learn the songs? And he was touring with Maggie Rogers. So he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. So I think he did actually do the, that homework and he sort of checked Keyboard out. players, they're always yeah, that guy. They're like that, right? Yeah. So he like checked out the music quite a bit. So when I called him up to say, surprise, they're, they didn't make it. Can you come on the tour? He, he was like, yeah let's, yeah, let's do it. Great. But I need this day off and I need this day off to do like some TV shit with Maggie Rogers. So I said, cool. Um, and it just turns out we were off those days on the tour. Perfect. So it totally worked out. Yeah. Except for the first day of the show, the, of the tour, which was in Boston at the Sinclair. That was the only one that conflicted with his schedule. So we had no keyboards for that. Now, when I called Ben and he said he couldn't do it, he said, this guy Jordan Brooks you should call. And I hadn't heard of him. So I was like, oh, yeah, maybe not. But then when I called Alan Hampton and he said Jordan Brooks, I was like, well, now i got to pay attention. Two of my favorite bass players. Just said you got to check this just guy said out. Just said Jordan Brooks. So at this point, we're about, I'm five minutes away from going on stage for our last show of the tour in L.A., it, where Jordan Brooks lived, which I didn't even know he was an L.A. guy. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. So I called him up, and it was like, so let's see, it was like 11 a.m. his time. So he gets this call from me, and I'm sort of rushing things a bit because i got to be on stage. And I'm like, hey, what's up? My name is Dave Heilman, friend of Alan Hampton's. Um, got your number. You said you're a great player. Wondering if you could clear your schedule for five weeks and come on the road. It pays this. You have to learn this. There's a playlist on Spotify. This is the link. Check it out and um, let me know. And he was like really chill on the phone. His voice, like I'd never met him. So okay. now I just know it's now Jordan like, Brooks. Oh, yeah. But at the time I was like, this guy is not feeling it. There's this no way because in. he's just super chill. I mean, he's like, all right, uh, so what are the dates? I'm like, it's this is cool. Uh, what's the music sound like? It's it's pop music, really great songwriting, like really cool lyrics. It's it's interesting harmonies. You're gonna dig it, you know. All right, you sent over the list. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll check it out. I'll let you know. All right, cool. Bye. I'm like, there's no way this fucking guy's doing it. <laughs> this guy's like, this guy's not. Know he's in LA. He just yeah. like finished two spliffs. He's like yeah. chilling. Like, there's he's no like, way. No way. This guy's taking the. Game. Yeah. He doesn't even know where he is. Right? Yeah. yeah. So then I jump on stage. And this is our last show together. Everyone's sort of sad, but we're, we put on a great show anyway, and we're trying to like power through it. I get off the stage, I check my voicemail. He's like, cool, I'm down. I booked a flight for New York in the morning. Can you reimburse me? I'm like, well, where is he from? He's like, LA. And then I had to be like, Sandra, is it cool if we cover a flight from LA? Because <laughs> I didn't know. So he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. So this guy booked his own flight to New York the next one. I didn't have to do shit. He listened to the music. On the flight to New York, he learned it. He showed up, this poor guy, he was like, tearing like red eyes just like watering like kind of falling asleep while we played that first rehearsal but just because he was busting his ass so hard and had yeah. to learn this stuff and it, like he crushed it he learned all the shit in one day we did the rehearsal Sandre him sounded great then he and I worked on it alone for a few hours I said go get some sleep the next day we were on the road to Boston playing our first show trio so not only no, his first kicks without it's without keys. So he's responsible for for all the harmony. Yes, every, so he has yeah. to lay down the, <laughs> and he did a great job. And then Alan joined in Connecticut, also crushed it first time. And then we went on to have a great five weeks together. And it was a fucking killing. 
Yeah. They, those guys crushed it. That's killer. Yeah. And then... That was you know, this summer? That the was spring. this summer. This the summer, summer just happened. Well, spring. It was like April, May. And then we left in June to go back to Norway, do festivals. We did Japan. And then we were re- reunited with our band. And now we're leaving Monday to go back to Norway, playing some shows with them and going to Brazil to play with them. So we'll be back with those guys for the, for the ending run. But mid-December, when this is all done, that means we were touring for 10 months out of the year, you know. Or I, I've been gone from New York for 10 months. Yeah. You're doing, doing this stuff. You're never around. Yeah. So it's it's been a great world tour supporting this album. It's a great album. And uh, we have a pretty exciting track that's going to come out next summer with Serengeti, who's one of my favorite rappers. He, um, We happened to meet playing with Fancy Colors. I put him in touch with Sandre. And then he came in and rapped over a track that Sandra and I had, had created. So it's... Uh, gonna be pretty cool i'm excited for that to come out things are summer. happening yeah yeah They're everywhere he's he's from chicago check him out too serengeti <laughs> one of my favorite rappers i love the way he he he, he raps he's amazing that's a killer rap name yeah serengeti. it's great he's and his yeah his real name is david cohen and he's just he's like the, he's so dope i love it so anyway so that's what's happening this is good damn this was great mm. Well, I, I don't think I can correct that edit. I just want to go on. Because yeah. <laughs> that was like no, <laughs> that was the highlight of this uh, whole recording. You know what I mean? All right, well, look. If he keeps it in, I just want you to disclaimer. Alex, you're beautiful. You're lovely. And and I just spaced on your last name. God damn it. Everybody, it, it's okay. That's, I yeah. think, the beauty of it. I think, like, yeah, you know, I think part of doing this is I, I want it to be raw and unedited. Because yeah. I think that's people crave that. You know what I mean? So that yeah. was like... The most human moment of all this. I well, don't we want should that to we be should lost. go on note. Then I should give him a shout out. He's got his own solo project called Plastic Cannons that you should all check out. <laughs> Plastic Cannons. Yeah, so that's, let's check that's it out. Now, we love you. We love you. It happens to everybody. That yeah. happens to me all the time. I know. I feel like I'm 39 now, and I don't know. I like. I never would space on names or, or especially faces, and like now, it's it's just an age thing, man. Like I just sometimes it happens. It's so weird. I'm not used to it because I was, I was lived always a lot so of life. I, I'm convinced that I can only actually remember the past five years, and then mm. everything before that is a concept of ideas, or there's no arrangement yeah. of time. There's right. no. I know that I played at the Lions Den, but yeah. I couldn't. I, the project that you know, I, yeah. I remember the stage. It was tall and like square. But, but see, I, I, I remember, remember the first anything. time I played Lions Den was 1997 <clears throat> with a band called Clockwise from NYU. Yeah. You know, like, I remember this weird <laughs> shit. But just, I have a really good memory. But, you know, but it started to freak me out that I'm not kidding. These last two years, I've kept a journal. Mm-hmm. But not just like a journal. Like, it's like a narrative story. I spend hours a day writing in this thing. Mm. And I write, like, I'll write about today. And I will describe everything about you know, when I walked in, when I saw you, how we went and checked out some tracks in the studio. Do you find that that helps your memory of events or I, ideas? I don't know. Or I just it's actually wanna, hindering I, it in a way because you're like, well, I can release this information. That's, a good, that's a good question you pose, but I, I don't know yet because I've only been doing it for two years. But I know that I love knowing that I have these memoirs mm. where, like, I can account. I never go back and read it, of course. Maybe I will someday. But I know these last two years of my life, especially this one, which was spent touring the world for 10 months, would be fun to go back and, like, remember all the dumb shit that happens. But it takes up so much time because just to tell one funny story is, like, 45 minutes. Are you doing it on the keyboard? No, I do it by hand. It would be quick on the keyboard, but that's not as, like, charming. 
You know, I like the the ink on paper. Yeah, yeah. And I hate screens. I don't like to be in front of screens. No, I'm done with the screens. It's all day screens, screens, yeah. screens, screens, right? Yeah. So it's so nice to just sit with a. I'll buy like a. I'll invest in like a beautiful notebook, you know. And unplug and refresh the. Day. And the way I do it because I need to catch up because there's a lot of writing. So I'll go days without writing. But I have two journals. One's like a bullet point journal where I write down from start to finish what time I woke up, what I had for breakfast, when I worked out, how much I ran, you know. And I'll write it all down at the end of the night, and that takes three minutes. And then I have this like that's then like I go your back. fitness, your your fastidious workout yeah. fitness, right? Exactly. Yeah, it, but it's everything like what I did. So that when I go back and I catch up, and sometimes I'll be like a month behind. But when I go and look at those bullet points, everything comes back like it happened today. Mm-hmm. So I can write a detailed, you know, seven page journal entry that took forty five minutes about my day two months ago, just by looking at that bullet point list, and I will remember everything about it. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. Even if you just want to keep that little bullet point list, if you don't feel like writing a narrative sort of story, um, it's worth it because when you go back and read it, if it, if there was something meaningful, yeah, you remember course, it. Course. You know? And if it's not meaningful, then who cares? You just, you know. No, I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. I did. My mother did that traveling, and so when I travel, I do that kind of thing just because you, you do can, the, you you do the short list traveling. It's it's a shorter list, but if there is a particular, like if you meet a funny waiter or like a cool mm. specific story, I think I, I would, I'm into like the human. So if there's a human I want to remember, I'll like write about them. Mm. But I find that it, exactly what you're saying is that as soon as you go back, you check it out. These memories come back. Oh, it's crazy. Clear, stronger, yeah. right? The actual act of writing something. Right, and right? then you actually, it's even better when you've waited a couple days or a week because then you actually naturally filter out the important bits. Because if I were to sit here to write about today, I would be writing the LaCroix soda brand <laughs> yes. we're yeah. drinking. I would include that. But guess what? Two weeks yeah. from now, that shit's it's not. It's inconsequential. Yeah. yeah. So, so you wind up only focusing on the stuff that was meaningful. Mm. So it's only because I'm really detail oriented, and if I have the time, I will sit there and write every stupid thing. You know, you don't need to do that unless you're Hemingway, which God bless him. Love it. God guy. bless him. But we show about how you and I met, which is on the Charlene K tour. <coughs> yes. And and I remember my my tinnitus had just funny. had just sort of happened. <laughs> and I loved you so much from the minute I met you, but it was just so loud in the van. You know, when you when your enthusiasm peaks. And I remember having to be like, oh, my God, it just hurts. Like, I love this guy. Torn is so great, but my ear hurts so bad. So I'd have to wear, like, in the little earplug <laughs> in my left ear. But I loved your energy so much, man. Well, I remember you the funniest thing you ever said to me was, like, he's like, you were like, man, I thought this was, like, an act that you say dog and, like, talk like this. But he's like, no, you actually just listen to hip-hop all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I love like, that tour was a great tour because everybody has such a strong flavor and it would come out in there. When yeah. they're driving, you're like, I need to listen to Jay Z right now. Right. You're like, I need yeah. to listen to Dirty Projectors. So. Well, Paul Madison is like a guy that, you know, following him on social media you, or something, you would think that it's like, you know, he's turning it on for the, for the shoot, you know? But you're actually, this is your authentic self. <laughs> and much in the same way I was talking about Cole Whittle earlier, I mean, you're like a character who's like, fully realized and so you cannot I don't even care if you like that type of personality you can't not love someone who's being their authentic self you just have to love that person yeah. 
Because that's, that's very nice that's of you what, to say. But. But, but that's what we're all striving to be, you know? So when you recognize that in someone, you're just like, oh, I love this guy. I, like, even if that's not your thing, you just love that person for, for them having the freedom to, to be them themselves. I agree with you 100 because mm-hmm. you know there's people like especially in the music scene like for like for exa- an example is like I couldn't ever get down with like real pop sensitive male rock. Mm. Right? You're like yeah. I don't I can't believe that that man can write that music. Uh. I'm like that's you know Hanson you reference Hanson let's say music like that but then if you meet those people and you're like no, that's actually who that person yeah. is. Like that is their genuine reflection of self. They're not yeah. maybe trying to sell. Maybe they're trying to sell records, of course. But like, this is actually who they are. You know. So even Rachel, she's like, someone posted the video of my dance performance. She's like, what did you do? I was like, I didn't do anything. I was just dancing. Wait, what dance performance? How oh, come? No, I don't know. Uh, later on on Monday night. I'm, uh, oh, le- on Monday night you went on to do no, a dance I, performance? Yeah, well, I did, I did a little thing. But to me it wasn't anything outrageous. Oh, I don't think God. I did anything that was... I left early, man. Beyond the beyond, but maybe... Where can I find it? Is it on Instagram? Yeah, it's probably out there somewhere. <laughs> but you know what? That's oh. nice of you to say to me, though. Like, a, a, That's a likewise. Thanks. Because I think... No, but I know what you mean because I have this other friend. And you're like, I didn't do anything. I didn't. I don't think I did anything weird. I have this other friend from middle school who's like, she lives a straight life, you know, and and that's cool, and we still connect. And every time I hang out with her, she's like, "You're so crazy. I love you're so crazy. I love you." So I'm always like, you know, I'm not that like. No, yeah, of, you're like, what do you I'm mean? I'm not crazy? like. I know she means it like, oh, you're so fun. I like you because you're so crazy. But I'm not crazy, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel like being like, nah, I'm just. There's nothing weird about this. I mean, maybe it's weird in the suburbs, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah, that's like more it's, a reflection on that person probably, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm crazy. Like, you're yeah. the one who got the straight job. Who's yeah, which maybe, is Which, is, which fine. is cool, but are you really? Yeah. I don't know. There's questions to be So, and she, you know, she means well by it, but it's just like, I don't like when people think I'm being outrageous, just like you said. You know, it's like, it's just, no, it's just... This is what you did that day. It's just Tuesday. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's what I do every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just the free freelancer lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, but you, but you're very inspiring because I love the way because you're like that with a random fourteen year old guitar student, you know, and that and being like that helps them feel that they can uh, let go of whatever. Uh, is holding them back, you know. Just being so free is something that I think kids especially should be around because, you know, they're mostly around people who are looking at their phones all day. And uh, it's important. So it's good that guys uh, like you and, and, you know, and a lot of friends of ours teach a lot of students because they need not just the musical help, but they need the help on, like, just being cool with themselves, you know. Well, it's a big thing now, yes. They're truly, yeah. the youth, I mean, this is a whole thing I, I think about all the time. It's like they've been corporatized. Like their identity is tied to a corporation. Like yeah. your Instagram profile. Like, yeah. To it's, me, it's, it's, it's still a joke. It's not pretend. It's not real life. It's not you and me yeah. sitting here as two humans. Right. This is a joke. This is, right. this is a joke. This is, but they're, yeah. they're, they're being inundated. I didn't say that word correctly. With, inundated. Inundated. Yeah. With this as like this corporation is real life. I don't know. It's it can make people <clears throat> express only 
parts about themselves that are very small. Yeah. Or acceptable. Or unrealistic. And for that reason, it's bad. So it's only good when it's used as like a way to communicate actual feelings or thoughts or whatever. And I think it's, you know, and it, and here's the great thing about the internet. And I've talked to, to like the most internet working internet dudes, whatever that is. Like they built the internet, these guys. I've talked to some serious tech folks who have really strong thoughts and do TED Talks about the internet and its effects on society. And they all say the same thing, and I totally agree with it. And it's like, the internet doesn't do anything bad. All it does is take your thoughts and feelings, whatever's really happening, and magnify it. Mm -hmm. Just like people, I don't believe this, but people say guns don't kill people, people with guns kill people, that sort of thing. It's the same with the internet. Like the same internet kind of in concept. itself yeah. isn't inherently bad. It could be the most amazing tool for good. Yes. I mean, this is like the most, we're at a time in life where we could do the most good we've ever been able to do in our lives. And a lot of times that is what that's used for. And we tend to focus on the bad a lot. But the truth is when bad shit's happening through the internet, all it's doing is magnifying the real ugliness that is there already in that person. Mm -hmm. So trolls, you know, we could dismiss them as like, oh, they're just trolls. But the truth is that that is ugliness in them. And, and they're choosing to magnify that through YouTube comments or whatever. Yeah. So it's still a problem. The internet's not a problem, but the problem is that there's a lot of people who, who are suffering and who feel ugly or who haven't been given the love or compassion or, or, or the voice to express pure thoughts. And irony and sarcasm being like the language of the millennials that is, is the such a disease, you know, so yeah. pathogenic because when you live your life that way, God forbid you ever express a pure thought that's real. Because mm -hmm. if anyone recognizes that as real, they can make fun of that. So all you want to do is shroud your thoughts in irony and sarcasm because then no one can really know how you really feel. How you right? really feel. And the scariest thing would probably be for a millennial to post something about how they really love this thing. Or like, I really enjoy this. Whatever that is, fill in the blank. That would be like, people would be like, is he just saying he likes the idea of communism? Like, or, yeah. or is he joking? Or I don't get it. It's like, no, he, yeah. he really likes communism. Like, God forbid someone, you know, and that's, that's so much worse than even being censored. You know, like censorship is better than feeling like you can only post things that are ambiguous because you don't want to be caught mm -hmm. actually caring about something. Yeah. So many young, beautiful girls or, or guys or whatever that I see using the internet in such an ironic and sarcasm, sarcastic way. I just want to reach out and be like, cool, so I get what you don't like. <laughs> like, you've made that clear. I see all these things that you think are stupid. Can you tell me just one thing you enjoy? Or tell me one thing that you think is beautiful about life. One thing. Yeah. And you won't find it. It's not to say they don't have those thoughts. But they're, they're brought up to not engage in those thoughts really sad well we have talked for a little bit this has been yeah. a wonderful conversation i could keep going dave we'll have to do a part two i feel like yeah i mean because you got to get your ass upstate yes so i have to go teach a 10th grader you got to go enough. change some lives you have <laughs> to go be authentic we look forward to the jupiter one tracks 
that's not going to happen. But fancy colors will oh, definitely happen. <laughs> 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 the eight-year hiatus of yeah. the band, you're like, no, there's no more Jupiter. Yeah. I, well, I, I keep thinking about him because I got to meet Pat and like really yeah. enjoy him. Yeah, and but so, he's on the fancy colors recordings as well, Pat. When this all kind of comes together in my brain, I was literally just thinking about how I, I wanted to conclude that, you know, this is not your magnum opus, but it's a wonderful introduction is Van Pilates, which we yeah. mentioned earlier. Like It's a fun one. I had not, I don't think I had even met you in person. No. And you sent me that video in a group text. Well, maybe. No, no, no. Maybe one rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. With Alex. And then you sent me that and I was... Yeah. You know, you're meeting in a rehearsal. It's always like stress, and everybody's trying to find their little space musically. And I remember just coming back and be like, "Well, I'm madly in love with this man. Like, uh, I, what, if this, if he <laughs> created this, well, you can only be at the highest order of cool. You know what I yeah. mean? So, and that shit that I'm wearing in that video, like that stuff I would wear. You know? Yes, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> it's like, you know. But that the, rehearsal was he funny. He wears tiny, tiny vintage shorts, right? I remember yeah. you brought those yeah, tiny shorts. little white gym shorts, and I had, like, a red tank top on and stuff. Because, like, fitness is... All right, there I, we go. I was going to say, give us... I, close this out with the, your fitness, <laughs> fitness Tell the world what like, is. What I is fitness to you? Fitness is, like, honestly... The, it's the most important thing to me. Not to be, like muscular and huge and all that shit not even not even to like break records but just to like love yourself enough to give yourself the chance to be doing what you want to do for as long as possible in a way that doesn't hurt your body Mm -hmm. someone once said that uh discipline is the strongest self-love and i really agree with that you took that to heart yeah, and I, I think like having the discipline to treat yourself right is the best to treat your body right specifically, and your mind, and your, you know. And I, I spend an hour every morning reading philosophy or like Stoic philosophy or whatever. I spend time because that's fitness to me as well. So I always dedicate like an hour and a half to either Pilates based workout or running. And and then I spend like an hour reading articles about happiness or philosophy or quotes by um, or meditations by philosophers I like because that's really important to me and a lot of people think that philosophy is something you get to when you like you know once I get this in place and once I've started making X amount of dollars a year and when I get my new plate then I can like sit around my smoking pipe and, and read and philosophy do some thinking yeah yeah but the truth is that should always be first because those other things come from that yeah so get your philosophy in order get that together and all of those dreams that you have and all those goals you have those will come out of that philosophy. Mm-hmm. You have to spend time on that. And those things will come in place. I know it's hard to believe, but it's the best way to accomplish goals is to focus on your philosophies. Write those goals down. Goal setting is huge for me. Um, even if it's just a to-do list in the morning. Well, it goes with being just a musician and a drummer. Then do you yeah. have a regimented practice sort of thing? You know, Yeah, you I mean, technique? it's a physical thing of carrying drums around your whole fucking life too yeah you know and like when you're loading that van up or taking it in or out you want to be the pack master right so you gotta like jump in that van and you gotta do that shit and i bet you most people quit touring playing drums not because they don't want to make music anymore it's because they're tired of fucking carrying shit 
Yeah. So like, if you can get your body in a way, and this concept of voluntary hardship, I mm-hmm. think about that all the time. When there's an escalator or a staircase and everyone's lining up for that escalator and there's an open staircase, it's like take the staircase. Always do what the other people are not doing and mm-hmm. you'll probably be in better shape. Do, yeah. do the opposite of everyone else and you'll probably be in a better position. So like that concept, like when someone doesn't, when they don't want to load out, I'm like, cool, I want to load out. I want to load out. I want to yeah. pack this up. Like yeah. let me, I'll carry shit. You tired? Let me carry your shit. And I don't do it. In, in a spiteful way, I'm like, actually, like, it's more exercise. Mm-hmm. I see everything as exercise. Everything, you know, people go, oh, now I got to fucking walk all the way to that. Awesome. Great. I'm looking get, forward to this walk. Yeah, let's yeah. walk. And, and if you train yourself that way long enough, you'll start to see it. I mean, laziness is, laziness, is, I don't want to talk about laziness because that's stupid. But I mean, when you find yourself saying, I don't want to do X, Y, Z, whatever. There's probably a reason why you should be doing X, Y, or Z. A lot of times there's not. But look for the reasons why you should. And sometimes those reasons are better for you. And you'll, and you'll turn out better for having done it. So, you know, there's not much someone can say to me that'll make me go, oh, fuck, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? You're like, let's go. I'm like, game. I'm yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Just a try to be game for everything. And, and I just think, So like, were you always an athlete? No, 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 no. I, I, when I was younger, I tried basketball, I tried wrestling, I tried football. I quit everything in like two weeks. Cross yeah. country, the first practice, I actually ran home. I said, tell the coach I quit. And I ran to my house. <laughs> that was it. Middle school, like I was not, I was into Led Zeppelin, I was in a rut, like I was so into John Bonham and that's all I gave it. For three years, all I gave a shit about was John Bonham. I had his picture of him with the peace sign of, of his drum set, standing in front of his drum set. That was at the foot of my bed on the wall. Every morning I wake up and I'd like do some weird prayer to him. I don't remember what it was. I would just like cross myself and just be like, dear John Bonham, give me the strength to but whatever what like I don't know. But I would just pray, pray. to Saint Bonham. Yeah, to Saint Bonham oh, yeah. every morning. This man. is amazing, yeah. That I created a mobile that would hang from like my bedroom light of like just it was the stupidest mobile. It was just <laughs> lined pieces of paper, four giant lined pieces of paper. In red marker, I wrote the names of each Led Zeppelin member on it, and it would like string down and just sort of twirl around in my room. It was just their names on pieces of paper, <laughs> just hanging down. So I had like the weirdest. This is in high school. Too. Yeah, this is like middle school. Well, this is like middle okay, school. Okay, middle school. Okay, yeah. this isn't when you're like no, 17. No, no, no. This is like. Girls you... weren't coming into that room. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is when I was in middle school. I was like still wetting my bed and then praying this John Yeah, Bonham you were like more. just yeah. a devout Zeppelin head. Totally. So like sports? No. No. And. So then when you're in your 20s, this is when you were like. And you should know that I was super into hip hop before Led Zeppelin. All I would listen to was Tribe Called Quest, Special Ed, these guys. And I was a big dancer. And I actually like entered the dance competitions that the Black Student Union would hold at the school. Dang. And I beat this dude Kyle Epps. <laughs> And I remember he was so pissed because the following year he wanted a rematch. He was like, yo, Let's me you, bro, I'm going to dance this shit off. You ain't got me this year. And, and at that time, I totally changed to the Led Zeppelin phase of life. So now I was growing my hair long. I was wearing Led Zeppelin, like the T-shirts that would like black light glow or whatever yeah. when you had a stupid black light. Yes, yeah. Like an amulet that was like a druid amulet <laughs> necklace. And like, and I'm walking around. And I'm like, like man, I'm not I don't dancing. dance anymore, man. He's like. 
fuck that shit, man. I want me and you. But just the year before, I was like super hip hop. I was wearing MC Hammer pants. I was like yeah. doing the whole thing. Yeah. And then I was just complete change. And he was so mad. And I was like, Kyle, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm just, I'm not dancing anymore. You know, like I'm super into 70s rock. I'm now. a 70s rock guy now. Yeah, now I'm, I'm this guy. Pants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that was, that was, you know, all I gave a shit about. And, and so sports and all that. So that didn't come in, believe it or not, this is going to sound vain as shit, but that's okay. We all have a little bit of vanity, you know? Of course. The fit, I've always been the same frame and build. It's not like I ever... It's not like I ever like was like overweight or anything, but when I was 29, that's when I started getting into fitness because I knew 30 was around the corner. Yeah, and okay. little little did I know 30s are the best years of your life. But I was thinking, shit, man, I don't want to hit. I want to hit 30 like strong and and like ready to go. Youthful, yeah, youthful. So at at 29. My bass player, Pat Doherty, that's, you know, he was playing with us. He would run in the mornings, and I'd never even dreamed of that shit. Like, we'd be on the road, he'd be sleeping on some girl's floor, wake up in the morning, and he'd be out running. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, man, that's what I do. To, I, I have to punish myself for the night before. So he would get fucked up drunk. Blackout drunk. Blackout and drunk. Then- Next morning, put his running shoes on and go run. And I was like, that's weird. Man. Let me try that. So then I went with him. And then I just... He introduced me to running, and I just loved it. And then I just kept with it, and I took it. Then I wanted to hit 30, like, really. So I all summer, I would just run around with these little shorts and nothing else. Everyone in the neighborhood just knew me as, like, the naked guy running. Yeah. And I would just do it all the time, and I got really into it. And then I just got into other aspects of fitness. You know, and then it just get into nutrition. And then once I got into nutrition, it was a... So just turning 30 was the thing that made me want to get into it, as dumb as that sounds. So it's been 10 years of you just yeah. living this... Yeah. Very committed life. And I will say, you know, you know, the, the old joke, like, it's like, um, how do you know someone's a runner or a vegan? They oh, tell, the vegan they will tell, tell you. you about it. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't necessarily ever put that out there. And no, like, no. that's not in your personality, not no. in your social media. You're not like, no. hey, man, I'm a runner. So did you know I yeah. run? Like, you you don't. Yeah. It, it, it's I, not like an outward part of your thing. No, you definitely. Know? I like that it's a thing just for me, you know? Yeah. I also don't post romantic stuff. I, the things I like to keep to myself is like my, my fitness and my romantic life. So the, that you won't find on the internet. You yeah. know, I, I feel like I love sharing shit all the time. I share pictures of everything I do. Yeah. Just, I just shared a video of us doing this right now. Yeah. But there's just a couple things in life that I feel are important that are not I don't need anyone else's opinion on. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want it. So I don't want, you know, and I use Strava, that app, to keep track of my running, but I don't follow anyone on it. It's not a form of social media for me. I use it to keep track of my runs and stuff, but I don't want to be, like, comparing anything because that's when you get injured, when you start, like, comparing yourself to people and wanting to, like, do, like, do what feels right for you. Listen to your body. Listen, Listen to your yourself. body. Yeah. Do it, you know, and then if, you know... Um, and if you feel like doing a lot of it, do a lot of it. If you feel like doing a little, do a little. But I, and I also am like leaning towards vegan. I've been a vegetarian for a long time, but I'm starting to like dabble in the vegan thing. But, you know, if anyone wants to talk to me about it, I'm happy to talk about it. But I, I feel You're like the best way to turn someone off to anything is just by offering, <laughs> offering advice or things where people aren't asking for it. That's such a codependent thing, too. Like, if you grew up as a codependent or something, like, offering advice when it's not asked for is, like, a huge part of what you do. Yeah. 
And that, that's something, you know, I grew up in an in a, in a alcoholic household. So I had to work on not being a codependent, you know, for, for, uh, for my whole life, you know. And I'm really good at it. But, but had I not done that work, you know, I don't know. I might be like, oh, man, you got to start fucking running, man. It's fucking, you got to do this. Dude. Oh, dude, do you do this? You need to do this. Yeah. You know, and it comes out of like a need for wanting to help people and take care of people. But it's, um, so I'm happy to like share ideas and tips. And so many people used to ask me, man, could you be like my workout partner? And like we do that. And I'm always like, no, it's not because I like do your thing. But you know, like, no. you know, because then it's about then who am I doing? It's for you. And it, that's cool, it's for you, but it should be for me. Like, I want that to be for me. Yeah. And uh, I may love that person, but I don't necessarily care how many push-ups he can do in a minute. You know, I care how much I can do. And if you want if you want to do it with me, and Alan Markley, for example, he was a big fan of that on the road. He would love to join in. And that's fun for me. Like if Jay wants, would with you, yeah. Yeah, he would want to join in on a workout routine in the morning, come in Jordan too. Jordan Brooks is big on fitness. So, and Sandre too now. So, you know, we would often work out together as a band. But I'm, I'm in, that's like a different thing for me. Like a band working out together on the road is fun. But me like leaving my apartment to go meet you for a run and you know, never, it's, you know, it's just takes too much time out of the, out of the day, yeah. out of the day. But I, yeah, I just, I'm not. You love it and it's for you. And it's, I love it's it, a it's for me. And thing, I think yeah. it should be for everyone. I hope everyone does it because it feels so good. But um, I'm not the kind of guy to be posting my stats and, and <laughs> shit like that. You know? um, Here's then, Dave, to wrap this up. Yeah. You, um, in the early days of Instagram when we toured together, you yeah. gave me a very, oh. <laughs> you gave me a breakdown on the rules. You, you laid out a, a yeah. pathway that I, yeah. I offer unsolicited advice to people and tell them that, you know, I think you may be breaking a rule. You right. know? And I do it as a joke. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't. You've called me out on it. I have. Breaking my own rules. <clears throat> breaking your own rules. Yeah. And I think we should revisit these as a closing. And I think they're great. <laughs> to preface this, I will say, and I just want to say this. Yeah. When I first joined Facebook, mm. I was posting pictures of food. I had an Italian yeah. mother. And yeah, food is very important to me. It's important to me too. Yeah, I think food, and I love, and people who love food typically love life, and they love themselves. Yes, and I think it's a great sign of that. Great, right? So yeah. I was, I got Facebook. First few things I posted were pictures of food, and a high school student says, "That's that's not what that's for." Yeah. <laughs> you missed it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, all right." So he he helped shape my early thing, and then on Instagram, you gave a very clear. You're like. I'm going to let you say them. Yeah. Well, you gave these clear guidelines that I still really think about and live by to this day. I'm pretty sure there was only three, though, right? There was, sure was three, three. And then there was, like, amendums. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're like, we're like, well, okay, well, here's another sneaker, like, bullet point. So let's let's close this out. Give us the rules of posting on Instagram uh, according to the master. Yeah. David I, I believe what I was saying at the time was that... Nobody wants to see your kids. All right, don't post your kids. Yeah. So you get a few shots. I believe it was. No, that was that was a hard. That was a hard. No. That was a hard no. <laughs> Unless they're your nephews or nieces. <laughs> okay. That you can post. So if Uncle Paul wants to post a picture of his nephew David doing something cute. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. But like your kids, 
you know, post a picture they're born, they're a baby, welcome to the world, blah, 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 great. Now, Sean Kiley, who's another great artist I play with, he, if he's listening to this, will be furious because he has, but here's what he did, which is smart. He set up his own Instagram Instagram page for his son, Cass. And Cass so people Kiley, who want to see. Exactly. Cass Kylie is a very handsome, charming young baby, mm-hmm. and he was just born recently. And Sean Kylie has a new EP coming out soon, uh, in a couple months. It's a really beautiful album based on the lost colony of Roanoke, Virginia, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's really cool. He's a great one of the one of the greatest lyricists that I've had the pleasure of working with. But Sean set up the Instagram account for his son Cass. So you want to follow that? You follow that. But his Instagram is still his now. Great. So that. So a hard no, number one no, hard, kids. right? But you got a cute nephew or niece. You want to post that? You're doing some fun shit. That I got time for. Great. So. Food picks, you're allowed. No, the one is for something else. One, okay. Well, because maybe, well, here, I don't, you might consider this. Food picks, you're allowed two per month? Um, no, I think like total. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're like two total. Two total. Yeah, because food, like, come on, there's not that much, like, there's probably two times, let's say even a year, right? There's probably two meals a year that are worthy of that, even if. There might even be one. And I love food just like you. I love food. I but love when food. I think about meals I've eaten that I'd want to share as a photograph to the world, I mean, I don't even know I can think of one, but I've had some killer meals. <laughs> killer meals. You've been all over the world. Yeah, yeah. but none that I'd be like, to Brazil. Oh, You're going dude. to yeah. Yeah, like Kellen Harrison. He needs to see this meal I'm eating right now. <laughs> like, I've never thought that. But. So you get two, latte two art. total. This is the one you're thinking. Oh, latte, latte art. Latte one, yes. Latte art, I give you one. So you're allowed one latte art shot. Because, again, how much latte art can we be seeing? <laughs> There's probably one out there where this dude, he did, like, Edvard Munch's scream. You yeah. know, and you're like, oh, that's dope. That's- but a maple leaf. I didn't get get out of my face. Yeah. Uh, a heart. Get, are you kidding me? Is this like ten years ago? You know. But if you got some dude doing a Picasso in your coffee, yeah, I want to see that. It, it, it should get you recognition. Yeah. yeah. And that's an art form. That's yeah. artwork. So that I give you one on. But that's all I remember of my rules. Was there any others? Okay. So there were some others. It was. Um, well, you you gave. These are the, the the rules have gotten much stricter and harsher. I do believe it was like uh, your pet. You get one, oh, yeah, pet two s- of the pet. Because people this go is, nuts with people that. People go, they go bonkers. You get yeah. I mean, like one pet shot, one pet because how many poses is your dog doing that, that is so cool? I mean, do one. You know, do one. Share your dog with us. Now we know who he is. Tell us his name, maybe his breed if you're really proud. How old he is. Yeah, that's cool, but I don't. I don't want to. How about? How about? I don't know. Do you have a hard stance on? But hold on. Okay. There's a guy out in Seattle who's a friend of mine, Jeremy, uh, who decided to create an Instagram page for his dog. He has a really great dog named Diggs. Uh, Diggs the dog. Okay. It's either Dugs or Diggs. Sorry, Jeremy, but. But he created an Instagram page for his dog. Do you follow this? Page? I do because I like that dog because I know that dog personally. Okay, and I do follow that. But you know that's the smart way to go about it. Uh, here's here's my current pet peeve, which 
we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Are, if you've made it this far, we love yeah. you. That's your <laughs> deepest fans. Um, is this, this, this is a, maybe a millennial, fa- a millennial phenomenon, but it's like you're at an event where you're doing something cool and then you post a selfie and then tell us what you're doing. It's like Paris. Oh, the selfie. Paris bound. I mean, Dude, you, the selfie captions. I love that. Me and my friend Sam Hearn. <sighs> We go, we, we screenshot them and send like the excuses people will give. And you remember Charlene had a couple of good ones too. Yeah. Like the reasons people give for the selfie is, I love that. <laughs> I, I love, it's so, it's like a car. I hate garbage TV, Real Housewives of New York. People who watch this, I'm always like preaching, don't watch this stuff. It'll infect your brain. But this is something akin to garbage TV, the garbage selfie caption. I love these. When they yeah. make no sense, Mondays, you know, and it's their cleavage. <laughs> and you're like, cool, yeah. What? Mondays? Why is that? I mean, great. Just post your cleavage and say, my tits look great today. Yeah. And I will like that. And I will support you. Yeah. But to say Mondays, no. No. I, I don't, you know, just no. be honest. Really. Yeah. I be think honest. that would be fantastic. If people, like, here's the shot. I think I look pretty cool. If that was your caption, great. But it's you with like a new shirt and you're sort of just chilling and you're doing your like, your side profile face and you write, waiting for the bus. Is that? No. Like, no. You think you look pretty cool right now and, 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 you, and you actually do. So let's just call it what it is. Yeah. Because I don't care you're waiting for the bus. Do you care you're waiting for the bus? No. You care that you look no. damn good in that shirt. You just wanted to post a picture. And that's worth it. Yeah, that's worth it. Yeah. That's okay. That's enough. So it's honesty. Honesty with yeah. the posting. And I think you have a keen awareness of respecting your audience. Yeah. And context. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. people want to look. I, you remember you saying it's a safe space for looking at something cool. Mm-hmm. This is pre-video. This is pre- Yeah, pre-Insta story. Pre the whole. So it was, and I did yeah. try to respect that. I probably broke all of the rules. But Insta story now is cool because you can post all that garbage on your story. Yes. So that's where now I've been breaking a lot of rules because I feel like the story is for your garbage. It's like the garbage. Because a lot of people, like, you know, Ludovica, I mean, she barely posts anything on her actual page anymore. Yeah, it's just. It's just her her story. It's just her story. And so I try to do a healthy balance where, like, the page is, like, you know, and something people can go back to to look and, like, see if, because a lot of people have been telling me they want to go visit such and such place now after seeing these pictures. And that's the greatest thing, when you can inspire someone to come look at this beauty in real life. Yeah. So that's worth it. But an Insta story, I might put on a story, you know, whatever, just what I'm doing because uh, maybe I want someone to check that thing out or maybe or maybe it's, it's something. It's silly. It's funny. Yeah, it's cool. whatever. Like you you're know, cooking with Sandra or something, right? Exactly. Like, I, I've like, seen a couple of those. I was like, this is, this is funny. This is yeah, cool. The other day I did a whole story about me surprising my mom to help her clean the attic, which was boring because she wasn't even home when I got there. That's <laughs> why like, so I had to like you know, find my keys and get in and it was just me and the dog in an attic. Like, it totally failed. But, you know, I just, sometimes, honestly, I'm hoping like maybe that'll make someone go, oh yeah, my mom's been wanting me to help her. clean the attic. You know, whatever. And so, usually, it's not, it may not be obvious, but there's usually a reason behind everything I'm doing on there. You know, that hopefully goes beyond the actual thing. Well, your pictures are always cool. I'm always a fan. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Yeah, my pleasure, dude. Dave Heilman, check him out. Yeah. Say maybe your handle or something, right? Yeah, David Heilman. David Heilman on, on Instagram. It's uh, H-E-I-L-M-A-N. And on 
Facebook. Uh, I only I don't really. You don't even use it. Nah, nah. But yeah. So Instagram, David Heilman. Thank you, Dave. You're the man. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. <laughs>